episode 174, the I sound and feel like shit edition of Mitch <laughs> Unfiltered. Why, Hotshot? Why do I sound and feel like shit? You know the answer, correct? Well, I saw a story about a guy named Michael Todd who leads the Transformation Church in Tulsa. And he conjured up some gross reactions from his congregation Sunday during his service, his service when he wiped his spit all over somebody's face. Oh, nice. That's nice. And I was wondering if you were at that church. <laughs> but I, something tells me you weren't for a couple oh. reasons. But yeah, oh, somebody shot. else got their saliva near you, apparently, or something to that effect. Does it matter? Well, I guess I should say for people that don't follow on Twitter and don't know the answer, three vaccinations, including a booster. And here we are. Yes, I'm I'm COVID positive. I tested positive on Saturday, started feeling sick on Friday night. Here's the question that I have for you. Okay. Should it matter how I got it? Why am I so effing obsessed? I'm <laughs> sitting in bed with a yeah. fever. I've got the sweats. I got aches. I got pains. I've got congestion. It hit me pretty hard for 24 to 36 hours. It's actually starting to go away right now. But the whole time I'm in bed, can't sleep overnight, whatever. All I can think of is, how did I get COVID? Who, where was it? I'm retracing yeah. my steps. I'm trying to think, where was I on Tuesday? Where was I on Wednesday? How long does it take? I'm, I'm looking things up on my phone because I can't leave the room now. I'm now, <laughs> I'm now quarantined. I'm just yeah. trying to figure out any way, shape, or form who gave me COVID. Does it matter? Should I care? It's an unanswerable question that, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And you matter. shouldn't care. I shouldn't You're care. Gonna, you should probably have enough trouble sleeping. You don't need to add this oh to your life God. as well. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you're feeling okay, though. That's but I'm feeling a little bit better. I probably sound... How do I sound? I sound terrible, right? No? Not terrible, but you sound a little different than Mitch's usual voice. Yeah. yeah. You know, like like someone like the Graz has a great broadcasting voice, you know? Yeah, but yeah. Guys like us, the regular guys, you can tell when we're off a little it's bit. It's one of the things that I hated about morning radio, not morning radio, but just doing a daily radio show, you weren't allowed to get a cold or get sick without mm. everybody in the world knowing. Everybody always <laughs> knew true. when Mitch Levy had a cold because you had to go on the air and people knew. You once told me, I don't know, 20 years ago that you used to get like a cough. Right. It would last like Forever. six months. Forever. <laughs> yeah. Why do I remember that, by the way? Forever. The weirdest thing ever. But yeah, you'd always get a cough that would last forever and then it would go away for a little bit. Then you'd get it back. But yeah, the whole world knows. And by yes. the way, when you're sick on the radio, there really is no calling the boss to say, I'm not coming in, right? I mean, did you ever call? I mean, you have to be on your deathbed right. to call Rich Moore no. to say you're not doing the show, right? I, I I called in. I called in that I wasn't coming in because of snow more than I wasn't coming in because of <laughs> because of not feeling well. Here I am. Yep, yeah, Friday night. Friday night I was at a uh, at a basketball game. I would typically see my son play junior varsity and then stay for the varsity after my son's game. I was starting to feel it. I was like, "What's going on?" Yeah. And I came home and boy, I had a fever. And then it was just, yep. Yeah, then I took that little home test with the lines. Oh, the lines. The yeah, lines. Sure. And you have to take pictures of the of the test and the whole thing. And yeah, here I am. COVID Any, positive. Yep. Anybody else in the house doing anything? I think we I think we saved everybody. I think I got I think I got quarantined in time. They have been taking tests. Okay. You know, Brett has to take tests because he's trying to play basketball and go to school. Oh, right. My wife's yeah. got to take tests. And so far, all of their tests have been negative, no symptoms, no nothing from them. So I think I've been able to save at least the rest of the household. But I'm not sure. I guess we'll find out as we go along this week. But uh, it seems like everybody's okay except for me. Was there was there part of you that said, why did I even get the vaccinations or does your head not no, work like No, no, no. My head works 
The only thing I want to know is who gave it to me. Okay, all That's right. all I want to know. Because <laughs> I heard a bunch of people say, I got three vaccinations. I still got it. What the hell was the point of masks and everything when I got it anyway, you know? Well, the question I have is, when did I get it? Do you get it five days or seven days before you show symptoms? Or do you get it the same? Like, my wife wanted to go to this Van Gogh exhibit. Are you familiar with the Van Gogh exhibit? Down As a matter Seattle? of fact, yeah. My wife said we should take pipe for that, to yes. which I said she'll fall asleep in two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. So my wife wanted to go to that on Friday. So we went to that exhibit on Friday. And I got a lot to say oh, about wow. that guy, Van Gogh. Yeah. A lot to say about Van Gogh. But the ventilation of that place with a million people, Everybody's wearing masks. Now, I didn't get too close to anybody, but I would have gotten it way before then, right? I would have yeah. gotten it five, six, seven days before I started showing symptoms. Or is that not the case? Well, as you know, that everybody who's on Twitter is now an expert, expert in communicable yes. diseases. Yes. Like all of us are. Yes. You know, us and our lack of PhDs in this yeah. are we should go through life giving advice to everybody about this. <laughs> so um, I don't. So I don't know the answer. I, I would. Just, I, I've been reading. It's like yeah. It takes like a week to incubate, or maybe five days. So maybe uh, backtrack five days or six, seven. I don't know. Again, not an expert, but yeah, I don't think it would hit you that fast. Well, I have an excuse for feeling or, or for sounding like shit on this episode. Don't hold it against me. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron. Five dollars a month. MitchUnfiltered.com. Weekly visits from Danny O'Neill, Slickhawk, Randy Mueller, and more. Subscribe and rate and review us. Maybe don't review me on this show because I'm, I'm sounding a little rough. Everyone seemed to enjoy the Graws last week on episode ah, 173. Yes. yes. Did, you, did you notice? Um, we got a lot of positive feedback. Did you get others? Did you get oh, others yeah. reaching out? I understand I gotta, former bosses of ours were reaching out. Everybody liked it, right? Yeah. Did you read that? I texted you that and didn't hear back. Boy, she loved it, our old boss. She was the GM, right? The general manager. She of- always loves when other people come on our show that she that she used to be the boss of. That's the way it works. So it's like nostalgic for her, yeah, maybe? Yeah, or- yeah. Trip down memory lane. She has written nice texts before, emails before, but it's always about like fish <laughs> coming on the show right. or Graz <laughs> coming on the show. It's never about Mitch and Scott. It's about the guests right. that come on the show that she used to oversee, right? It's no. never about that raise I asked for never about years ago in her office. No. No, One time I asked her for a raise. I was sitting in her office, and she looked at me, and she goes, do you have any idea what you make at Cube 93? And I didn't. I was like, I don't think I even really know. And so she showed me, and I was like, all right, I'll see you later. I'm probably I'm a little overpaid. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what my salary that was. Right? Is Just that true? Just a dipshit. That's yeah. true. Because I, I had an agent who handled all that. And I don't know, the, the debit card always worked. I was like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. No clue until she showed me, and I just I'll see myself out. <laughs> but you thought that you you thought the garage thing went well because I, I loved I, it. I was a little nervous about it. I thought that there were going to be high expectations. You know, high bar. Everybody was going to expect. Oh my God, this is going to be great. Graz is going to be on with Mitch and Scott. It's going to be awesome. And then we never we never can exceed expectations. You thought it it went the way you thought it was going to go? Well, when you put it that way, no, I think it was below <laughs> expectations. Um, All right. No, of course. I love that. I love okay. Gross's stories, but I'm, I'm I'm in the bag for him already. Yeah. Like, he just kills me, and he makes me laugh, and I love it. I could listen to his stories all day. I love so the I might, wrestling story. The wrestling uh, story oh, is great. Had you heard that before? No, I never heard that before. Oh, my God. I'm oh, so okay. glad that I remembered it, because it is... Is something about Graz in a tuxedo, not the most athletic fella in the world, <laughs> running around a ring from a pro wrestler who, if he catches you, he's got to do something. Uh, I love that. Because, you know, you don't know that the term is called kayfabe. Kayfabe is, I guess, pig Latin for be fake. 
So kayfabe is all the storylines and the characters that they have to keep going. Like it used to be really like, so like if you saw Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik at McDonald's together, that would be bad for business back in the day, right? Right. So you have to always keep up whatever the character is. I see. Yeah. And Georgie Animal Steel was going to have to do something to him because he's supposed to be an animal. He's supposed to be nuts. So God, if he would have body slammed the garage in the middle of the ring. That would have been who was the one that paid him? Was it uh, Chief J Strongbow or uh, I can't remember who he said, but one of the old wrestlers paid him. Cash. Anyway, I, I love I love all his stories. The one me. story that I didn't tell about Gross for obvious reasons last week. And by the way, if you're listening to this episode 174, the last show 173, we had the great Dave Grosby on who's whose time came to an end on radio. And he can't you know, that's what everybody does. They the radio careers end and they come on Mitch Unfiltered. Uh, that's the way it is. The one story that I didn't tell for obvious reasons was Graz in Detroit. Have I ever told you the Graz in Detroit Chichi Rodriguez story? No, I don't do think know, I know this. Do you know who Chichi? You know Chichi Rodriguez, is, the right? golfer. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I don't even know this is even very funny. He would not get a kick out of this story. That's why. <laughs> okay. That's why I didn't tell it. <laughs> All right. And I don't know whether you'll find this funny or not, but Detroit, when the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl to face the, t- uh, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. There was a million KJR people there. Okay. 20. There were probably 20 KJR people there, including okay. the Gras. And I decided to throw a little dinner at a restaurant. I got reservations. We've got a special little table oh. in the back and whatever. And we had all the KJR people in Detroit on like the Friday night before the Super Bowl, sitting around a, a fairly fancy dinner table and telling stories. And it was, you know, it was Graz and Gas, and it was Softy and me and all the producers and, oh, wow. and the, you know, everybody, everybody who was there from KJR. Yes. So you were spending some of your overpaid, bloated paycheck as well on everybody. I was, was very never nice overpaid, Hot <laughs> None of us never were. Never was out. I over. You were. Never was I overpaid. <laughs> and I, I've never met a guilty man in prison either, from what I hear. They're all innocent. <laughs> so if you if you were at that table, you would probably know what happened. It became like a story fest. Okay. You know, it, it went three. First of all, the dinner went like forever. It went like three hours. Oh, I don't need that. Yeah, you know, softy telling stories, gas telling And then Graz jumps in with a story about the day that he played golf with Chichi Rodriguez. Okay. Now picture this. Table, one table, like 20 people around one table. And Gross starts on one of his fabulous stories about playing golf with Chichi Rodriguez. Yeah. The the problem (laughs) with this story was it was rambling. It wasn't making a lot of sense. It wasn't particularly funny. It was going in different directions and it was taking a long time to tell. It got to the point, and here's what's funny about the story to me. It got to the point where everybody was texting each other, except for Gras, around the table, like, <laughs> when is it going to end? Somebody shut yeah. him up. Somebody throw something. <laughs> is this really true? Every And he had no idea. He's telling this story for like 20 minutes. Oh, my god! And we're all texting back and forth around the table. Make it stop, please. Make it stop, please. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all, we're all, we're all texting each other. Make it stop, please. And he just went on and on. <laughs> and and the story really had no kicker. It had no end. It's, and for those that, that haven't been around a bunch of radio people, it's yeah. like, you know, we're all, we're all, we all think we're like Great the best storytellers, storytellers yeah, like and it. we all want to have, we all got in the business for a reason. We all are dying to have some sort of attention from Correct. somebody. Correct. So when you get us all together, yeah. it's like, who can rise to the top and be that 
big storyteller. And Graz would usually find his way up yeah. to the top. He's the biggest and the loudest. And yes. The best storyteller. So anyway, that's funny. So the thing about having COVID this weekend was I found my my schedule changing because I was in quarantine and in bed for two days. And yeah. I found myself watching more NFL playoffs than I had ever intended or that I desired. And I and I was kind of I was kind of pissed off about it, to be honest with you. It was it was you annoying. Were. Yeah, it was annoying. It was annoying that the Seattle Seahawks were not in the playoffs oh. this weekend. I mean, think about it. They're always in the playoffs this weekend, aren't they? They may yeah. not be in the playoffs next weekend, but they're always right. in the playoffs <laughs> the first this weekend. weekend. And I yeah. don't know. I, I've always said this. I'm kind of I'm kind of a a sports fan that throws a hissy fit when my team is eliminated. I was thinking about this the other day. I love, I, take NFL. I mean, you know my setup downstairs. I've got four televisions. I literally watch eight or 10 NFL games from beginning to end every single week for, True. for 17 weeks. I yep. watch more football than anybody, okay? <laughs> and then the playoffs come, and as soon as the Seahawks are eliminated, whether it's this weekend or next weekend, I find myself not wanting to watch. Either I've overdosed huh. on football or I'm a little annoyed that they're not in it. And I kind of go on protest. It's the same thing as college basketball. You know me as a huge college basketball fan. I watch yeah. loads of college basketball. I watch my Syracuse team every game. I watch all these games on ESPN. I'm I'm fired up for the tournament. I, I do interviews with coaches getting ready for the NCAA tournament. And it's funny. The NCAA tournament comes. I call it the greatest thing in the in the uh, in the calendar year. I really do think it is. The yeah. NCAA tournament is the best thing in the calendar year in sports. And yet, the moment that Syracuse gets eliminated, <laughs> I find myself tuning out the next group of games. I won't watch them. Either I can't, huh. I'm annoyed, I'm irritated, I'm, I'm somber, I don't know. And I just, I, I need a break. And this was going to be my weekend that I took a break. I was not going to watch a lot of wild card football. <laughs> and yet, I was forced to thanks to COVID. Yeah, the football god said, not yes. so fast, not big boy. Not so fast. Right. Get, get in that bed and watch. Right. <laughs> I was, it, to me, it feels like, well, fans love to do this, and I do it too, but when you're watching the playoffs, your team's not in it, you go, but wait a minute, my team beat that team twice this year. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it doesn't mean anything. No. But you can't help but, like, think that way, right? Uh, like, what, what, what? They seriously won a playoff game? We beat them twice. We beat them twice. That sucks. Right. Yeah. Right. I watched I watched a lot of it, you know, it's is when the games were good, of course, but the, the Dallas 49er game was incredible. I had it on at my daughter's softball game, and that was a really fun funny. game to watch. It's funny. Everybody thought the 49ers were going to give Dallas a tough game, and everybody was right. It's it's very rare that everybody huh. is right when they're projecting. Everybody thought the 49ers were the one team this weekend that was going to come out of nowhere, not come out of nowhere, but be the, yeah. let's say, be an underdog winner. And they they did they did just that, didn't they? Yeah, they beat crazy. the they knocked the Cowboys right out of the. Were we rooting for San Francisco or were we rooting for Dallas? Me and a guy or, on Twitter were talking about this we, before we, we signed we, on. Or were we rooting for carnage? Just carnage. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I mean, it, it's so hard to root for either of them. I mean, wow, you're excited for Dallas to win a home playoff game. I mean, yeah. who cares, right? But then you want the Niners to have this. Win. I don't know. It was. It felt like the Niners were really trying hard to give that game away, didn't it? It's like they, they didn't want to win it. They jump up 23-7, I think, and then fight into the last second right. with the, the ref and right. the whole thing. Right. Crazy, crazy yeah. ending. But, I, I, you know, Hotshot loves Wild Card Weekend. So I am enjoying the playoffs. I'm, I'm having a good time. And there's one, one left when, as far as when we're recording. Yeah. 
Well, that's the rematch. That's the third time around between the Cardinals and the Rams on Monday night. I, I, I just think it's going to be the Packers and the Chiefs. I thought it before the playoffs started. I thought it mm. several weeks ago. I, I, I am, I'm not completely sure about the Chiefs because I think the Bills are pretty good. I know the Titans have beaten both the Bills and the Chiefs. I don't really trust the Titans all that much. I think next week the, the Bills are going to play the Chiefs in the semifinals of the AFC, and I mm. kind of look at that as the AFC champion. I think the AFC championship game is actually next week instead of the following week. I like the Bills and the Chiefs. And in the NFC, I just think the Packers are going to win two games at home at Lambeau Field in the cold after yeah. a week off. So I, I'm picking the Packers and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I won't be surprised if it's the Packers and the Bills. But I will be surprised if it's anybody but the Packers in the NFC. And that's a shame because I look at the Rams from top to bottom and I say to myself, the Rams should be in the Super Bowl with that talent. Look at All that. Right. Look at how much talent they got on offense and on defense. I mean, they are just loaded personnel-wise, but for whatever reason, they just don't rise to the level that I thought that they would be. So I, I'm picking the Packers. You can hold me to that. If the Packers are not the NFC representative in the Super Bowl, you can pin that on me. I would be very surprised. When your team's not in it anymore, do you do that thing where you like adopt a new team? No. You try to pick a team to root for? No. Because I'm, I'm kind of doing that with the Bills. I think I want to see like the, the Bills, Bills win it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily like them. Like I'm just kind of rooting for them. Do you like them because they, their fans throw dildos at the, uh, the New England <laughs> Patriots? Did you know that? No, I didn't, you didn't know, know that. that? Few, how, how do I not have that story, by the way? Well, a few years ago, this is going back five years or seven years, they started throwing dildos at Tom Brady. God, classy. When he, when he was quarterbacking the New England Patriots. The Patriots yeah. had come to Buffalo, and for some <laughs> reason, the Bills fans would throw dildos at Tom Brady. For some reason. And, and you know, Bills people would say, stop it. You're going to get thrown out. You're going to get ejected. Yeah. We can't have that. A, it's disrespectful. B, somebody could get hurt. Stop throwing yeah. dildos. Sure. And so and so Tom Brady then leaves the Patriots and goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And now the Bills and Patriots end up in a playoff game against one another. And guess what they did? They threw dildos. <laughs> so it's not That's just the a Tom Brady thing. It's not thing. just oh, a, it's wow. the New England Patriots thing. So. Well, Tom, Tom Brady can sleep easy tonight knowing that it never no was about it him. Was never yeah. about him. The never about him, never yes. about him. Anyway. And then I saw the old quarterback for the Bills was in the crowd, uh, the bearded guy, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan right? Fitzpatrick. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He played yeah, for he everybody. Was, he played he for was everybody. Yeah. Dolphins, right? Was he a Dolphins? Sure, team? everybody. He played for everybody. <laughs> okay. Well, he's in the crowd, painted, shirt off, really? loving it, having a great oh, time with great. the Bills Mafia. Yeah, I love seeing that. That's great. So that's my new team. I'm in. I like All right, I got to beat the boys update for you on episode 174. The season is over, and I owe 25 prizes thanks to Steve Dion. No, no thanks to Hotshot. No, no, no thanks, thanks to, to Slickhawk. No thanks to Mitch. Thanks to Steve Dion, our, our, wow. our great producer. He went 32-19 and 19 this season. He Good. finished 26th, which means the 25 people that beat him will get a prize. You will hear from me in the coming weeks. I promise. Nice. Yes. So Not too bad. It was smart bringing people in. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even want to look to see if it were you and I again. It'd be hundreds. Oh, it'd God. be hundreds. <laughs> nice, Steve. Thank you. Thank well you, done. Steve Dion. I'm only going to have to give out 25 prizes. Guests on this episode 174. So if you're a Seahawks fan or observer, you're really going to enjoy our last kind of regular installment of 
The No Table with Joe and Brady. It's actually two segments. The Mm. first two interview segments are both The No Table. And here's what we did. We started by looking at Pete Carroll. And then we looked at every position group on the roster. And every potential decision that's facing Seahawks brass, which looks like it's going to be Pete and John again. Free agents. Who's a free agent? Salary cap situation. Who could be cut to save money? Complete roster analysis. Literally, we go position by position and and dissect every single offseason decision that's coming for the Seattle Seahawks. Nice. Can't wait. Love it. So that's that's the first two segments, guest segments. And then the third guest segment, our final visit or regular visit with Rick Neuheisel. We got to react to the title game. We got to talk about the playoff expansion news. Are we going to eight? Are we going to 12? When are we expanding the college football playoff? We got to talk about the Pac-12 offer in bowl games. And we got to talk about how Deion Sanders, Rick Neuheisel is going to explain how Deion Sanders is getting great great high school football players to come to Jackson State. Well, I'm glad that somebody has an explanation. He's got an explanation. What the hell's going on? Okay, good. I can't wait to hear. He's got an explanation. All righty. We'll officially begin the Mitch Has COVID episode 174 edition of Unfiltered after a couple of words about our partners like Fireside Home Solutions. Thank you for the Beat the Boys competition. Is there a better time than now to look into a new fireplace? We bought our last unit from John's crew. Start your search at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The brand-new Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage, one of the nation's premier mortgage companies, Jordan Flowers' team is killing it. Great refinance opportunities available, 425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything well. The Levy family loves Zeke's Pizza. Everyone knows about their incredible craft beer selection, but don't sleep on the chopped salad. We love it. Have it all delivered to your door in no time by downloading the Zeke's Pizza app, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, who had a tremendous holiday season, reminding you Valentine's Day is on the way. It's a Monday this year. All Daniel's locations will be booked solid on that Valentine's Day in no time. So get ahead of the game, a reservation at danielsbroiler.com. Episode 174 begins right now. Unfiltered. If they don't make this change and we go status quo into the next year and they do whatever they do in the draft and they do whatever they do in free agency and they're like two and four after six, I'm going to point back to this game. I'm going to (laughs) say, see what happened on that game? We all loved that game, didn't you? Unfiltered. I don't know what I would do with the quarterback. Probably will let my general manager decide or the new coach decide. I would change the coach because I think there needs to be a change. He had a chance to get fired and collect $50 for doing nothing. (laughs) He blew it. What's he doing? Mitch is unfiltered. Okay, episode 174, the Mitch has COVID edition is now officially underway. Hotshot and I are not together, thankfully, for him. Go. So as I'm watching the NFL playoffs, something hit me, and you're going to say that's the dumbest thing anybody's ever said, and you'd probably Uh be right. But how great would it be Okay, so let's say that the game, like let's say the second game of the day, let's say it starts at one, I don't know, one thirty. 
But I would like the NFL to tell teams, look, it's scheduled for 130, but you need to be ready by halftime of the game before you. Because if the game before you sucks and it's a blowout, you guys are starting. We're, it's go time. Instead, we have to wait and watch every single freaking stupid second of the bad game and then wait for the game. Wouldn't it be nice if they could kind of make a decision at halftime like, no, forget it. No one, no one's watching. Let's go. Let's get the next one going, right? So annoying when it's like a crappy game and then you got to wait another 90 minutes. Let's go. Just you have to at least be ready by halftime. You got to be ready to go for the off chance that we're going to fire you up at this. Like, you know, a crappy blowout. Let's go. Let's get the next game going here. What I got to sit and watch this for. So that's my proposal. Teams should be ready at halftime of the next game and it'll never happen. Never, ever, <laughs> ever happen. And no. one of the most stupid things I've ever heard. Even well, that's saying something. Even COVID stricken. I get even with my fog. My They say that you get a brain fog when you get COVID. That yeah. lasts for like months and months, even within my brain fog right now. <laughs> stupid, stupid idea. But it would be awesome if you could do it, right? No. You would like it at least. Yeah, I guess I, I'd like it if they start. Yes, yeah. I'd like it if they'd start the next game early if the other one was. Be yes, great. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's stupid that because we know it'll never happen. But right. the concept is pretty sweet if, if in fact, you could get it done. There do, you go. Do you understand the whole art thing? Oh, the whole I mean, painting thing. Do you understand it? What vibe did I give off to you that I'm someone who understands art? I, know, I didn't say you did. I didn't say you did. <laughs> I mean, you could probably answer that for yourself. No, I, I I often look at art and I think if I could do that, I'm not impressed, which is a dumb, probably a dumb baseline bar to have. But yes. no, I'm I'm all over the place with art. So no, I, I would so I not go, say that I get it. So I go to the Van Gogh ex exhibit with my wife on Friday and I'm looking and I'm, I'm reading about him and I'm understanding his world. I don't know. Do you know anything about Van Gogh? I didn't know anything about Van Gogh. He was unstable. Didn't he cut his ear oh, off? Yes, he did. Yeah. Was, he lived to 37. He did most of yeah. his paintings in an insane asylum. He was just and, a really troubled and whacked out individual, right? And I don't think he was famous while he painted, no, that's right? That's the didn't point. He? That's where I'm okay. going. That's exactly where okay. I'm going. Sorry. And that's what, no, that's fine. That's exactly why I don't understand art. So this guy does upwards of a thousand paintings while he's oh, I alive. I that many. That's a I lot. Th I think, I think he did okay. upwards of a thousand paintings while he was alive. Most of them, as I said, he was in an insane asylum when he did his most famous paintings, right? Troubled. You know how many he sold when he was alive? I don't. One. <laughs> really? He sold one painting his entire Jeez. life. He tried to sell paintings he was going poor. He didn't have any money. He sold one painting. Nobody wanted his paintings. Okay. Then he dies. Yeah. And now these paintings that get sold and very few of them ever get sold, especially privately. But these paintings, they go for 50, 60, 85 million dollars, 100 million dollars. And he couldn't sell one when he was living. So I, this is what I don't understand. It seems incredibly arbitrary to me. The whole painting thing. Some, somebody, told, somebody decided at some point after Vincent Van Gogh died that he was brilliant and his work was brilliant and it became the biggest and best thing. I, I don't understand. There's, a, there's literally a million people, a million people that can do great art. I, I can't. That, that, that can do incredible paintings, right? right, I, could right. Put, I could put two paintings next to one another. A Van Gogh next to somebody else who is unknown and did a wonderful painting. And you would look at it if you didn't know the Van Gogh and you didn't know the other guy, you would say both of them, they're great, they're great. Right. I wish I could do something like that. One of them sells for 85 million and the other <laughs> yeah. one couldn't, wouldn't sell for a hundred bucks. 
<laughs> right. So I don't I don't understand <laughs> who decides and how it's decided that one is a masterpiece and one is just nothing. The listeners are probably going to be pissed off when I suggest this, but I wonder if having an art critic on to ask them some questions. I don't I, look, get it. I don't get it either. I, I'm not. Like, su- look, I'm not suggesting that he wasn't brilliant and his work isn't great. It is. I, yeah. I looked at it all in the exhibit. I got COVID. Talented I, fella. I, I did the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, very worth it. <laughs> you know, I, I experienced the whole thing. I looked at all of his work. All of it's great. It's sure. wonderful. But is it any greater than Joe Schmendrick in Champaign, Illinois, who can sit down and do an unbelievable painting? And the proof is in the pudding. Now, granted, it was the 1800s. The guy died in 1890. Yeah. But but he couldn't get a, a nickel for any of his paintings. His, <laughs> nobody wanted them. His contemporaries didn't even like nobody him. Nobody <laughs> wanted them. And now, yeah. and now, I mean, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I don't and get I, it. I don't. When I look at Picassos, I really don't get it. Because those are like a little more abstract. And yes. sometimes it looks like yes. a first grader did it. Yeah. I really don't understand what make because you look at Bob Ross, remember the guy with the big afro? Oh, the, the painting. Now that guy, brilliant, should, right? That guy should have been selling them for fifty million bucks. I'm saying he could. His, he, was the he, best. Would, he would take a metal scraper. He wouldn't even use a brush. And that's he just the, that's the exhibit where I want to catch COVID. I don't want to get COVID at Van Gogh. I want to get <laughs> right. COVID at a Bob Ross exhibit. Yeah, no yes. Oh, he was great. He, he was as talented as anyone. But yeah, he's not selling any paintings no. for sixty million dollars. Why? So. I don't get it either. Somebody I, decides. That, yeah, somebody decides. I, I think That's it's a, it. I think it's the same person who decides walk off home run and yeah. and new little catchphrases. Somewhere yeah. somebody decides and that's it. It's the same way with fashion. I see it all the time. Nordstrom will carry one thing. Next thing you know, that's that's the hot thing that's everyone thing. has to have. It has to wear. Yeah. Just someone just decides somewhere and I'm not invited to any of the meetings. <laughs> Never. No changes that we know about with Pete Carroll and John Schneider. The secret meeting happened on Thursday, Hotshot. And uh, no one's talking. It it appears that Pete Carroll is still the president and coach of the team. And John Schneider is still the general manager of the team. And nothing has happened along those lines. Are you okay with that? Uh, I told you I have, you know, what have you done for me lately syndrome from that last game? I liked how everything looked and felt and, Part of me wants to run it back one more time with with Pete, John, oh, and Ray. if 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 Russ is going to be there, then I'm cool with the Pete thing. If you're going to tell me that Russ is leaving, then I'm neither here nor there with Pete. Hot I shot. Mean, if- you carded a 112 with that birdie on the 18th hole. It still was a 112. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I don't care that you made eagle on the last hole. Your score was 112 for the 18 holes. Really? We're going to focus on your eagle at 18 when you when you carded a 112? Really? I'm not saying I'm right or rational. <laughs> I'm just saying that's how I feel right now. I it maybe I'm just nostalgic for for how it used to be, but seeing them high-fiving and being excited and they're beating the crap out of people and I just I was like, "Ah, one more year. Can we just maybe get one, one more, more year, year one more year. to 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 play like that though? If they could play like that against everybody, well, I don't know. Well, I, would, I, I would love to see one more. Well, I told you on episode 173 and then 173P that I had prepared my spiel, right? I don't know yep. that I have the energy now that I'm, I'm COVID positive to go through it all, okay. but I'll give you the short version. Everybody who doesn't want you to trade Russell Wilson, what do they say? They say... Well, good luck finding another quarterback. Good luck I finding mean, yeah. another quarterback. There are similar people who say... If you fire Pete Carroll and you make a change, good luck bringing in another head coach. And I just think, 
Look, I think that the head coach in the NFL is important. I do. Okay. I think it's overrated in a lot of in a lot of cases. Hmm. In a lot of cases. To me, what matters most, second most, third most, and fourth most is the quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. The quarterback decides the day. And if you have a top-tier quarterback that is healthy and playing top-tier, let's say top eight football, you're going to be in the mix every year with that quarterback. That's just the way. Go around the NFL and ask yourself the question. Look at all 32 teams and ask yourself the question as you look at each of the 32 teams. Do they have a top eight quarterback that's healthy? Yeah. And I will bet you that in every case that you say to yourself, yes, that team has a top-tier quarterback that is healthy, I will bet you they are in the mix every year. They're either in the playoffs or very much. So this notion that, oh, my God, if you let Pete Carroll go, who knows what you're going to get back as coach, and it may never be the same. The truth of the matter is, in my estimation, and I I guess this is taking credit away from Pete Carroll, and I don't really mean to, but I guess I am, so I got to own it. The first reason, second reason, third reason, and fourth reason that the Seahawks have been good all these years and in the mix every year is number three. That's the reason. Hmm. Some might even argue that they should have been in more Super Bowls in the last five or six years. They shouldn't have been just in the mix. They shouldn't have been just around one playoff exit. Some would argue that maybe a great coach would have had them back in the Super Bowl with a top-tier quarterback who's been healthy until this year. Well, you're okay. saying Pete was essentially holding them back. I, I don't know. Some, some people would say that they should have been better than they were. In a lot of cases, they had a lot more talent than their outcome, the okay. outcome of the season. So that's what I'm here to say. And I guess this is all taking credit away from Pete Carroll. And I'm not one to believe that it's because of Pete Carroll that they've been great all this time. I if don't he had to so. break it down into a percentage, what percentage of it is Russell? I know you said one, two, three, and four, but... Honestly, like what percentage of the success is Russell and what percent would you give to Pete Carroll? I don't know if I could do it in percentages. Here's what I would say. If Dan Quinn were the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks the last five years up until this year, yeah, they would have been in the playoffs or very close to the playoffs in every year with Russell Wilson playing the way they did. You know what would have happened this year if Dan Quinn was the head coach of this team? They would have fallen flat because Russell Wilson was out for three games hurt and then he came back for three games and he was lousy. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I don't think it's necessarily the coach. Now, many people would say, hold on, Mitch. If you went and you did that exercise with the 32 teams, you might have to ask yourself, why is the quarterback a top-tier quarterback? Did the coach make the, uh. Did the coach have something to do with the quarterback being a top-tier quarterback? And I would say, in some cases, yes. In some cases, offensive-minded head coaches have been great for quarterbacks yeah. and, and have well, and have been a major reason in their success. But I don't think even the most ardent Pete Carroll supporter would say Pete Carroll is the reason that Russell Wilson has been successful since he came into the league here in Seattle. I don't think Pete Carroll had anything to do with Russell, Wilson, Russell Wilson's success. Well, okay, but he would say, I was there when we decided to draft him. Yes. At 5, 10, and 3 yes. quarters or whatever yes. he is. Yes. Um, and a, that was during a time when they paid a couple bucks for a free agent quarterback. Was it Matt Flynn? Yep. Matt Flynn. Right. And then I had the macaroons to start five ten Russell Wilson over this quarterback. Oh no. That we I, paid a lot for. I, I am not suggesting that Pete Carroll doesn't get credit for bringing him here. Okay. And giving him the opportunity. All I'm saying is 
when you look at coaches and the impact that some coaches have on their quarterbacks in terms of their maturation and their progression, I don't think that a defensive-minded Pete Carroll had much to do with the maturation and progression of Russell Wilson. That's what I'm saying. So I think it's a little, I think to have the, I guess to sum it all up, I think to have the same conversation and the same theory about a coach as you do about losing a superstar quarterback and wondering how many years it's going to take to replace him and where do you go to find that guy. I think to turn that into the same conversation about a coach is misinformed. Yeah, I, I would. I agree with you that the quarterback is much more important. Um, I, I don't know if I if I think it's the same percentage more than you do, whatever that may be. Yeah. Because I look at I look at Pete Carroll. I look at I look at the whole you know everything he built, the whole attitude around you know competing, uh, yeah, you know, I, I that whole thing, yes. winning, and the, the taking chances on uh, Marshawn Lynch, who was you know pissed off in Buffalo, standing there with his helmet off during games, bringing him in, and everyone getting excited to, to play for him. So I. I think he he's a little more important maybe than you do, but I I do agree that yes, of course it's Russell Wilson. I think he's yeah. important. I think he's yeah. important. Okay. I think he deserves a hell of a lot of credit. Maybe be- belongs in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. I I just I don't sweat it if they if they had decided to go in a different direction at coach after what I've seen the last four or five years and what I've yeah. seen on the sideline this year. I think what's going to rule the day moving forward is. Will number three be back? Will he be back playing the kind of quarterback that he was in the previous four or five years or the way he was in the first half of 2020? I think those are the questions that are going to decide the ultimate fate of the Seahawks, not necessarily who the head coach is. Yeah. I mean, and then, I, I, and he, then now somebody might say to me, okay, Mitch, if that's the case, then why not keep Pete Carroll? If the coach doesn't matter, why not just keep the guy that's been here all this time? And if it doesn't matter, it doesn't right. matter. It keep doesn't him, matter. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a fair point. I don't know. In the meantime, Hotshot, we all woke up on Sunday to the NFL report that Russell Wilson wants to explore options. We're back to that. We've already started. Uh. It's all started all over again. In case the Seahawks would like to trade him or would trade him, Russell Wilson would like to explore options according to the NFL network. Is that what this is going to be where we wake up and we analyze every single tweet that he makes and every single tweet that his wife makes? Is that, is that what this is going to be now? Yes. yes, Like Russell's going to show a picture, a selfie of him in New York city. And we go, he's not playing in New York. Is he? He's not, no way they're going to trade him. This is, this is going to be the next four or five months of this, isn't it? Every little thing. Literally one week after the following quote that I'm going to give you, We wake up to the news that he wants to explore his options away from Seattle. And here's the quote. Okay. You guys keep asking me the same quote. This is after the Cardinals game one week earlier. To the day one week earlier. You guys keep asking me the same question, but I think maybe you guys know something that I don't know. I think the biggest thing is that I love playing here. I love being here and everything else. So one week after that (laughs) quote, we get the report that he wants to explore options elsewhere. Doesn't it make sense, though, if you're his people to explore options of elsewhere? Of course. Of course. Yeah, it, does. it makes sense. So of I don't course. I don't think Seahawks fans should take it personal. No. Do you think they will? Seahawks fans? I don't know if they'll take it personal, and I don't think it really means all that. I don't think it's much of a story to begin with. You know, the more Why is you, that? Because you just assumed he was going to do it anyway? Of course. I mean, it, it, 
shouldn't he shouldn't he in, in the case that uh in the case of the Seahawks turn to him and say we'd like to move in a different direction we'd like to get draft choices for you shouldn't he be because he's got veto power shouldn't he be exploring where he would like to go it's a yeah. non-story and and the NFL network even went as far as saying that his group was unavailable for comment it, <laughs> I think because of last year and the sensitivity of the offseason last year, yeah. we're now going to analyze, as you say, every little thing that happens that's reported that he says that Sierra says for the entire offseason. Of course. Yep. Yeah, that's just yeah. the way it's going to be. So wh where where are you right now as far as trading him? Like what what would you say yes to? Because you've seen him play for a full year. You know, he had the injury because going into the year, it was like, oh, we're going to get five first round picks and and uh, Tua and all this stuff. But don't you feel like it's come back down to earth just a little bit from where it was a year ago? You mean the, 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 the price for him? Nah, I don't I don't I don't agree with that. Oh, OK. I don't agree with that. I think he's still a franchise quarterback. He was obviously hurt. He played better and better as the season ended. I think he played his best football in that Arizona game since he got hurt. Yeah. I don't think that it, I think any organization that was willing to give three first round draft choice or a king's ransom to the Seahawks last year. Last offseason, if they're still in a need for a quarterback, they'd be willing to give the same. I don't think the price has dropped. Wow. In fact, okay. in fact, if the price has dropped, I wouldn't trade him. I'd only no, I'd only trade him if I felt like I was getting blown away with an offer and I had an avenue to a new quarterback. That's the right. other thing. Where where where's the next quarterback coming? Is it coming in the draft? Is it coming through free agency? Is it coming through trade? Where's the next quarterback coming? So you've got to be able to answer that question right. before you trade number three. Well, where are you going to find a new quarterback? I mean, that's the question it's that people hard. love answering. It it's is hard. really hard. That's right. It's hard. Yeah, some franchises have gone since, what, 1990? I don't want to discuss 92? it. I don't yeah. want to discuss it. So. It's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm still open to offers if they care. I think oh, they should course. listen. They should definitely they listen. Should. Is, but I, earlier I got done telling you how much I love seeing him and Pete and all, you know that last game of the year and I kind of have last game syndrome, but I'm open to seeing what they can get for him. I mean, it's this this franchise can use some more draft picks or could use something to help build for the future. Yeah, it was fun that last game, but I'm I'm being realistic. When he was healthy, they were two and three and they looked old and they didn't look like they had much going for him. So I am open to offers if they can get a bunch of first round. Picks. How could you not be open to having the phone call? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course you have to be. It's just business. If for no other reason, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, Isn't right. it? I mean, when you have a come on, let's say you had, let's say you had a Mickey Mantle rookie card over there. Whew, let's okay. say you were the biggest Mickey Mantle fan. Let's say that card meant everything to you. Let's say you also had a billion dollars in the bank. Okay. Okay. So Hotshot Scott is a billionaire who happens to have a Mickey Mantle rookie card, and he's a lifelong Mickey Mantle fan, right? I, I and you've got a billion dollars. Yeah, that selling the farts in the jar really paid off more That's than it. I thought it, it really would. Did. It really did. It really did. Okay. And people wanted to call you to make offers for the Mickey Mantle card. Yeah. And you didn't need the money, nor were you interested in selling the Mickey Mantle card. Yeah. Wouldn't it be fun to at the very <laughs> least take the phone calls and say, hey, what are you willing to give up for? Yeah. Oh, what, oh yeah, it's, it's much more how, fun when you don't need the money. Yeah. How much? How much? I, I want to know what I've got here. Let, let me see what I've got here. Yeah. yeah. What's what's the market value of a 33 year old Russell Whatever. Wilson would Whatever. be interesting to see. Maybe yeah. somebody will call and say, I'll give you five number one draft choices. <sighs> Maybe somebody will call and say, I'll give you Aaron Rodgers and a couple number one picks. Yeah. Hey, would you do that?
Yeah. What if Aaron Rodgers? What if Aaron Rodgers said to the Green Bay Packers, "I'm done. I'm done here. I'm never playing another down for you guys." Okay. And the Green Bay Packers called the Seattle Seahawks and said, "We'll give you Aaron Rodgers for uh, now." Russell Wilson's got to agree to go to the go to the Packers, and I would assume that Aaron Rodgers has to agree to go to the Seahawks. So let's yeah. put that aside for a second. But if the Packers said, we'll trade you Aaron Rodgers for, for Russell Wilson, and we know Russell Wilson's younger and we probably have presumably more years than you have with Aaron Rodgers, we'll throw in a number one or a couple of number ones. Would you contemplate that? I'd contemplate it, sure, yeah. Then you don't have to ask the question, where's the next quarterback <laughs> coming from? <laughs> That's right? right. He's a pretty good one. Right. Who's so, looking pretty good in the playoffs. Yeah. Three segments of guests. We've got the no table. Honest to goodness, if you're a Seahawks fan, we are going to go literally position by position on the Seahawks no table with Joe Fan and Brady Henderson. Who's free agents? Who should they bring back? What positions? Salary cap situations? Who could get cut to save money? All kinds of stuff on, on the two no table segments. And then Rick Neuheisel, and then you and I will come back for the other stuff segment, okay? I'm ready. Hey, it's time for the first visit of the year for my friend Zeke's Pizza president, Dan Black. How are you, Dan? I'm doing good, Mitch. Thanks. How did 21 go? Give us kind of a State of the Union address. All things considered, how do you think Zeke's performed in 2021? Yeah, all things considered, I think we performed well. Uh, As you know, it's challenging times for the restaurant industry, and it's no different for us. I mean, COVID has changed the world, and in a lot of ways, coming out of COVID has created more challenges than during COVID for us in certain ways. But, you know, I tend to be an optimist, and so focus on the positive things, which our restaurants, for the most part, in 21 were fully open. The really optimistic part is, is in terms of opening new locations, uh, we've been doing very well on that. And 2022, off the top of your head, can you tell us about expansion? Yeah, so we're actually in the midst of our biggest growth phase ever at Zeke. So all within the next month or so, Spokane, Mill Creek, and White Center will all open. And then shortly after that, Seward Park and Renton will come online. So yeah, we're we're cranking right now. We're approaching 30 Zeke's pizzas. How do you explain, given the conditions and the challenges, all this growth for you guys? Yeah, it's been crazy. It was, I wouldn't say that it was a total surprise for us, but uh, you can add buy a Zeke's franchise in addition to buying a Peloton and a vacation home <laughs> is something that evidently people do during a worldwide pandemic. And what's the Black family eating and drinking this January? Yeah, you know, wintertime, we tend to go towards our classic meat pies. So we've been doing Puget Pounder, John Candy, Cherry Bomb, Dragon, all of which are kind of Zeke's classics. And then beer-wise, I've been drinking stuff from a couple of breweries up in Bellingham. Uh, one is Flannel Blizzard, which is a Zeke's specific beer that is a Canadian lager that's super easy drinking. So I drink a lot of that. And then the other one I've been drinking is a Skookum Hazy, which is another popular style. I'm so happy for your expansion and your success. I know the 21 was difficult. I'm very appreciative of your partnership with Mitch Unfiltered since the beginning. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. I'm going to save my special stuff for Jody, if you don't mind. But uh, but there's some big things that showed up, you know, and it's, uh, the, the big things are the finishes. You know, we didn't finish as effectively as we have in the past. We weren't as explosive when we needed to be, and we weren't as clean defensively and, and uh, you know, as we needed to be for that last drive, last play. The Seahawks No Table is back in session, presented by Taco Time. Always looking for good, solid people to do some work. A great compensation and packages, tacotimenw.com 
slash careers. Now, this is an important one with Brady and Joe. And I was gonna I was gonna say, let's take a first glance at what faces the Seahawks decision makers this offseason, whoever those decision makers might be. But before we began, Joe jumped in and said, what, Joe, before we started to record? Well, you put me on the spot on Sunday night, and I think that it was a good question. It was a fair question. What was the question? I, mean, I put you on the spot a lot. What was the question that you referred to? The question to? was, if Jody Allen were to knock on your door, give you a call and say, hey, what should I do in regard to John Schneider, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, give me your opinion. Okay, so and you said I to hemmed and right, hawed and right. finally and finally gave you one that I right. think change is necessary. Right. Um, and I'm curious because I think as you uh, aptly said on Twitter, Mitch, it's it's very much a glass half full, glass half empty sort of situation to where it's really all in the eye of the beholder, which makes it a fun conversation because many people are, are processing everything that's happened over the last four or five years very differently, and it's very evident in terms of how Seahawks fans are divided. And I'm curious to, to pose that question back to you guys. And I think I think everyone would appreciate and benefit from hearing your guys' okay. opinions as well. Brady, you start. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com. If Jody Allen called you, Brady, and said, what should I do? I don't know what to do. They played so great on Sunday, but they were so so uh, below average the, the rest of the season. What should I do, Brady? You would say What? I would say I would ask Jody, who are your replacement options and what what give what makes you think that they could be better options than Pete Carroll, not just in terms of the pure coaching stuff, X's and O's, but also in terms of establishing a culture, which I think Pete has done a pretty good job of that. Uh, and you we you can make fun of all the always compete and rah rah stuff like that. But look, that stuff works. And, and those guys played hard for him down the stretch, even when they had nothing to play for. Um, I think Carroll is, he is a true head coach in the sense that he does, he, he's a leader and he's far from a perfect coach. There are some in-game decisions that you, me and Joe, uh, we can criticize till the cows come home um, every week. And so he's, I'm not saying he is, he is the perfect coach by any means, but he is a true head coach and not one of these glorified coordinators that, you know, has one good year as a play caller. And you think that that guy, you, you think that, you know, calling plays and devising offensive or defensive schemes. I think owners trick themselves into thinking that, yeah, that guy's going to be a really good leader when there's really not a, a necessarily a huge correlation between those two. You can be a really good coordinator and be a lousy coach, or you can have one or two good years as a coordinator and be a very lousy coach because you're not a very good leader. And I think that's the danger that some teams fall into. And, and I think that that's probably what Jody Allen should be considering here is, if you get another coach, what's the guarantee that he's going to be that leader? And and there's a ton of examples you could point to about Pete Carroll. I think being a pretty good leader, the way that he led this team through all of the, um, you know, the, the dangers of and the, you know, with the COVID situation and how they did a pretty very good job of handling that um, up until, you know, the, the Omicron variant basically got every team in the NFL. I mean, they had had one guy before that miss a game um, in the you know, one, almost two seasons. And it was Gerald Everett earlier this year. So that's just one example. There's a lot of them. He has led them through a lot of turmoil over the years in a way that I just don't think lesser leaders could do. And so that's what you've got to consider is the leadership aspect of that. And so that would be, I don't, I don't know if I could have an answer for you, but that would be my question back is who, who is a better leader than Pete Carroll? It sounds like you want him to stay the course. 
you would tell her to stay the course at least one more year. Yeah, if if if, if they didn't feel like there was a better head coach in terms of everything we just talked about, then yeah, I, I, I would say to stay the course and that the grass is not always greener as much as some fans get fed up with the coach and the way that you know the organization has kind of become stagnant. Now, staying the course with the head coach and the GM doesn't necessarily have to mean keeping everything the status quo. And I'm sure you and the listeners have probably heard about the possibility that's been floated out there about what if one resolution to this whole thing is that everybody stays in place, but or at least the the top two decision makers in terms of Carroll and Schneider stay in place. What if Pete Carroll cedes final say in roster decisions to John Schneider? I do think that would be a significant change and and I not don't. just I not don't. just change. I think it would, and not just change uh, for the sake of of change. Look, it, we've talked about this. It's hard for me to imagine firing one of those guys less than a year and a half after giving them an extension. It's also hard for me to imagine keeping everything entirely status quo uh, when they they did have this down season. But look, they've they've kind of been a, they've kind of flattened out over the last five six years. So I think that would be a significant change. I think a lot of decisions over the past few years. I, I can tell you one in particular that would be a lot different had the front office had the scouting department had final say. Now. Would they still be in the same position they were in this year with with Russell Wilson getting hurt and playing lousy uh, when he got back? Yeah, I don't think that shift would have changed anything there. But I, I do think that would be a significant change, and that would be a logical change to me instead of firing one of those guys a year after giving him a huge extension. I think my answer— What was the move, Brady? As I understand it, it was Rashad Penny in 2018. And the from what I understand, he was their guy through much of the pre-draft process— and there was the biggest dissenting voice in the organization was Brian Schottenheimer. And they ultimately went with Penny over Chubb in large part because Brian Schottenheimer had serious reservations about Nick Chubb's ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. And he wondered how useful he would be on third down. And that was not necessarily the only reason, but that was a big reason why they went with Penny over Chubb. Obviously, Penny has had this great resurgence, but over four years, four years have proven that Chubb would have been the much better pick. Joe, uh, to answer your question from where I sit, I'm probably about as wishy-washy as you. I'm a little bit on the fence. Where I come down on making a move and changing the head coach is I think that there's a fundamental breakdown offensively between where Pete Carroll views an offense should be in 2022 and where I and where your ingredients to me, line up where an offense should be. And I think that that's got to be resolved. If he is going to be the head coach, what are we doing offensively? What's our game plan? Are we are we running the ball? Are we building around the run game? Are we letting Russell Wilson throw the football? Where are we? There just seems to be a disconnect. And I know that you agree with this. There's a disconnect between Pete Carroll and every offensive coordinator he ever has. He's got this kind of vision of what an offense should be and what the Seahawks offense should be. And I think there's there's a cut cord, there's a cut line between what Pete Carroll thinks the Seahawks offense should look like in its best day and what his coordinators feel. Or am I wrong about that, Joe? No, I think that's fair, given that his coordinators, his offensive coordinators have had their own respective three-year runs, and that's where it's maxed out. It's interesting we talk about this glass glass half full, glass half empty sort of mentality. If you're glass half full, you're saying, if not for Russell Wilson's injury, there may be a playoff team. And then if you're a glass half empty person, you're saying Russell Wilson's injury may have saved Pete Carroll's job. 
because that's an easy scapegoat for why things ended up the way they were. I think it's interesting because I think both are valid arguments. It just really just depends on which side of the ledger you're on. But this wasn't a team playing great football. They were not, not like they had a ton of momentum and felt like they were one of the favorites in the NFC. Then Russ gets hurt and it felt like a bottoming out point. But even then he comes back and I know that the, then the inju- injury lingers. And so it gives him a pass for a couple different games. But then even the Chicago game happens that we've sort of forgotten about that was just two and a half weeks ago. So it's sort of interesting when you think about what the Russell Wilson injury meant to this team. And it all depends and, on what your overall outlook and is. And you can take what you just said, Joe, and apply it to the last five years, not just this year. And, and what I mean by that is what has been Pete Carroll's role and their success? Why are they in the mix year after year? Why are they winning wild cards? Why are they winning divisions? Why are they playing at home in playoff games? Is it because Pete Carroll's a great coach? Or is it because you have a top-tier quarterback that's been healthy up until this year? I challenge both of you guys to find me top-tier – when I say top-tier quarterbacks, top eight quarterbacks in the league that are healthy. Find me teams with top eight quarterbacks in the league that are healthy, and I'll show you eight teams that are in the mix every single year because the quarterback's good. Now, maybe you'll say to me, well, the coach sometimes is the reason why the quarterback's good. Yeah, in certain cases, the coach is the reason why the quarterback's good. Does anybody, does Pete Carroll's biggest, strongest admirer think that Pete Carroll is the reason that Russell Wilson has been good these last five or seven years? I don't think so. So my question is, you just looked at it from a microcut, from a small sense. Let's look at it from a big sense. What has been Pete Carroll's role? Is really Pete Carroll responsible for them being in competition for a playoff spot every year, Brady. Yeah, I, I think that I think you could ask that question about any team, any team of similar ilk that has a really good quarterback and that makes the playoffs. Pete Carroll is is the equivalent of that. He's doing, he's devising the game plans and he's working with Ken Norton Jr. and he's he's getting gotten pretty good play out of their defense. I know they started terribly this year. I think it's an interesting question, but and 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 you can look at it and say, yeah, they've been winning more because of Russell Wilson. Than anything, but I think that would be true of other teams that have right. a head coach like Carroll and and a good quarterback. Right. So, but but that's but but so my point is that I don't think I don't think that works against Carroll. I don't I don't think you can downplay what he has done, what his role has been. I mean, certainly it helps when you have a really good quarterback, and it is really hard to win when you don't. And, and I go back to Joe's point; they they weren't playing great football uh, when he went down, but. Think of all the close games that they played with, with Geno Smith was in there, and while Wilson was coming back, I mean, they went one and six in the seven games in which, starting with the Rams game that he went down, and then in the the three games that he missed that Geno Smith started, and the three games, the first three games that he came back, they were one and six in that stretch with a ton of close games in there. I think the the one game that wasn't close was the Packers game, and they were in that game until uh, you know partway through the fourth quarter. You can't tell me that they weren't they wouldn't have won at least four of those games because of Russell. Sure, but you're, you're making the point that Russell Wilson puts them in position for playoffs. And and my question to you guys, and I know I'm sounding like a a Pete Carroll basher, and I I, I don't really mean to it, but I am what I am. I, I just keep coming back to Joe uh, Brady. Somebody would make the argument that that a great coach. The Seahawks would have gone further in the last five years. 
The Seahawks would have played in Super Bowls at some point in the last five or six years with a great coach. Is that possible? That maybe they're not going as far as they should be going with the talent and the quarterback that they have? That they've been underachieving? Uh, I, no? I don't know. I, I I think you should answer the question of what were, why have the Packers gone 13 and why have the Packers won 13 games in each of the last three years? Because of the quarterback. Because of the quarterback. So does, the quarterback. But so does Matt LaFleur not have anything to do with that? I'm not saying he has nothing. Yeah, you, you had the same quarterback when when who when uh, Mike McCarthy got fired and they were bad enough under Mike McCarthy to get how him bad fired. were how bad were they under Mike McCarthy with Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback? I can't were remember they, what they were. were his, were they missing play? They were, they were last all season. they were always in the playoffs. The Packers were always in the playoffs because of number 12. And so now the question is, are they going far enough in the playoffs with number 12? Are the, the Seahawks are always in the playoffs, are always in the mix because of number three. So now the question, Joe, is, are they going far enough in the playoffs? Should they be going further when you look at those rosters the last three or four or five years? Yeah, I think so. And again, my sort of take on the situation is they have been stagnant. They've been in a rut where they're good, not great. Better than most, not as good as the elite. Because just to, because of whom? They're good, not great, because of who? Because of Carroll or because they have an elite quarterback who has been healthy and very durable? Which one? Or both? Well, yeah, having an elite quarterback keeps your floor at a certain level. And we've seen that floor be, at least at worst, a wild card playoff team. Listen, there's a reason why we him and haw about it, because it's not a trivial answer. And I think both okay. outcomes are justifiable and we can go back and forth on, well, what does this mean? And that mean, and we can look through whatever different lens we want. You know, I, I think it, we, we all have been pretty clear on, on what we believe the case to be, but it just, it does make it fascinating. It's what makes Jody Allen's decisions so challenging. And I, I don't think there is going to be a, a, a change made. It seems like, you know, they were supposed to meet, uh, at some point this week. And, you know, who knows how many details are going to come out about that meeting. So, I don't know. Okay, let's take a pause. Let's pause for a second. Get ourselves together, regroup. and For we'll, station identification? Is that what we have to do? Kind of, sort of, on a podcast. <laughs> okay. And then we'll, we'll kind of come back nice. and take a... I want to go position by position. I want to go through free agents. I want to go through cap dollars that are available. A first glance of what faces the Seahawks decision makers this offseason. Hey, let's get an update from Daniels Broiler CEO Lindsey Schwartz in the new year. Happy New Year, Lindsey. How were the holidays for Daniels Broiler? Happy New Year to you, Mitch. Yeah, the holidays were great. We were super busy. All four restaurants started out Thanksgiving and just kind of went all the way through December and uh, people were celebrating with us, having a great time. It, it really, it really felt like the good old days. So we're grateful for that and uh, and happy to keep it rolling. South Lake Union, Leshy, Bellevue open fully, and downtown Seattle. What? Downtown Seattle is Tuesday through Saturday evenings in the bar only. And that continues to get busier, too. People are finding their way there in the evenings and, and having a good time in our bar. And uh, hopefully that continues to get busier as the year goes on. One of the biggest days traditionally, and we all understand why, for Daniel's Broiler, is Valentine's Day. No better place to celebrate Valentine's Day than one of your great locations. This year, it falls on a Monday. And it's weird because Super Bowl Sunday 
is the day before, right? Yeah, first time ever with the uh, extra game added this year in the NFL. And so we've never been through this before. But uh, yeah, Valentine's Day is always a really busy day. And it's on a Monday, which means it's going to be a really busy weekend. People come in Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. But uh, for those who, who make the Super Bowl a priority, just want to give everybody the heads up. Don't make your dinner reservation <laughs> Sunday night if you'd rather be watching the Super Bowl. The other nights are going to fill up quick, Friday, Saturday, Monday. So, uh, so jump on it. Traditionally, how long do we have until you're booked on actual Valentine's Day, Monday night. How long do we have to make our reservation? I mean, I would say the first couple weeks of the year, traditionally, okay. Valentine's Day reservations are, are booked. Okay, so if you're booked on Monday night when our listeners come to call, then uh, Friday or Saturday night, unless you don't care about the Super Bowl, and then you can do you can do Sunday night. Daniel Sproiler CEO, Lindsey Schwartz. We love Daniel Sproiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Maybe you guys know something I don't know, but I think that, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is that, man, I, I love playing here. I, I said out there, I, I love the city. I love being here and everything else. And so, you know, I also love winning too. You know, we also got to do whatever it takes to make sure that we're doing that. And I think that's the standard. That's what I, that's what I believe. And so I got to do my part. It starts with me first and, and then the rest of the guys and all of us together collectively, what we can do better. The Seahawks, no table. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com. Joe Fan, win bet in Las Vegas. Brought to you by Taco Time and Taco Time Northwest. TacoTimeNW.com slash careers. All right, overall assessment, guys, of the roster. Let's start with this. I'll give you an opinion. My biggest issue with the overall situation, and maybe one of the reasons that I want change at the head coaching spot, and maybe even at the general manager spot, is when you ask the question, who are the productive young players of the Seahawks that are under club control contractually and that you are excited about as Seahawks fans? Okay, those are the prerequisites. If you went around the league and you asked every, every fan base of the 32 teams, productive young players under club control that you're excited about, my guess is in most of the cities, especially the cities that have good franchises, there would be more than four. I can't come up with anybody more than the following four guys, and you guys can tell me I'm wrong. Jordan Brooks, DK Metcalf, Daryl Taylor, Damian Lewis. Young, productive players under club control that I can be excited about, that I've seen enough to be excited about moving forward for the Seahawks. Who am I missing, Joe? Am I missing anybody? Give me that list one more time. Run through it again. Jordan Brooks, DK Metcalf, Daryl Taylor, Damian Lewis. Four starting young, productive players under club control that I have seen enough to get excited about. Four guys. I think that list needs to be longer. To me, that's an indictment of the last five years that this front office of Pete Carroll and John Schneider have put together a roster. That's an indictment. There's only four guys. There should be six or seven. Yeah, I think you should have Tyler Lockett on there still. Oh, uh, he's not we're young. Only enough. talking about we're not young. it's only young guys. Young only guys. young guys. Young, productive, first contract, excitable no, I, players. I don't That's think you're missing anyone. That's especially it. because you hope that Trey Brown. I think you saw some some uh, some you good hope. things from him. Hope where I think he should be on that list. 
But I think other than that, you probably got it. And that we had that conversation earlier in the year. We've had it a lot. How many players are truly outplaying their contract value? And there's the list isn't super long. It's basically what you had just mentioned. Um, the names you just ran through on that list. Again, which is why the conversation is so hard. We want to indict Pete Carroll. How much of a hand does he have in the draft and the final selections? The drafts largely haven't been very good. And there's some promise of these last couple. But, but again, that point remains. And we saw... To me, that the Jamal Adams move was uh, a desperation win-now move because they didn't have the young talent on the roster because they haven't drafted well. And we've seen that continue, you know, that they kick the can down the road, but we're, we're finally seeing what happens when you string together three or four really poor drafts and you have a top-end roster that's filled with superstar contracts. No, I think you got the list right. Brady, this is, uh, Brady you want to you wanna comment on that? I want me to move to salary cap and space and... What the seal? No, I mean, I, I, I would, I would, I would throw out Puna Ford's name as consideration for that. He's, okay. I think he's a obviously a young player. He's an exciting player who, you know, he plays a position that you don't typically yep. notice as okay. much as other guys. I think but that's okay. fair. Okay, I do too. I would say Puna Ford, and then I, I would still put Jamal Adams on that list. He, he's a young guy. He's twenty five years old. I think he qualifies as young. He's certainly not. You're not as excited about him coming off the season that he had, and I think part of your excitement level is. The, the play hasn't matched or the play this season, at least it didn't match the expectation based on the contract and based on the trade, but he's still a pretty exciting player. Now the question I, I have with him going forward is, you know, Pete Carroll basically said when they stopped blitzing him uh, this past season, because um, you know, that he basically said that they just kind of had to throw their hands up and, and said, you just can't blitz him anymore because defenses are paying too much attention to him. And it's basically like running a guy into a brick wall of offensive linemen because there's, there's just no chance he can get after the quarterback because they're accounting for him. So that makes me wonder, well, if that's going to be the case going forward, can Adams be the player that you thought he was going to be? And like he, he's, you know, if you're just playing him deep in, in the middle of the field and as a safety running sideline to sideline, he can he can be an impactful player, but he not seventeen and a half million dollars, two first round picks impactful. So I think with Adams, they've got to figure out if they can still get him to be that type of, of pass rusher, even when defense, even when offenses are paying as much attention to him as they did. All right, let's check some of these things off the list. According to overthecap.com is which the one I use. You probably might use something else, guys. I see the Seahawks sixth overall. They've got 52 million in cap space as we speak here today, which is like the sixth most in all the National Football League. That number could actually be more if they're willing to cut some people to save some money. So let's get some quick responses from you guys. And the, and the first guy is obvious, Bobby Wagner. His cap number next year is 20-plus million, Brady. You could save $16 million. Did you see enough from Cody Barton, Joe? You could save 16 You could add $16 million to that $52 million if you're willing to part ways or trade Bobby Wagner. Um he kind of played both sides in the last two or three weeks. Brady, what's your what's your thought? And then Joe, I want to get you in on Cody Barton and could they could they go a different direction without Wagner at this point? Yeah, with Wagner, I, I think that if he is back, it, it seems much more likely to me that he is back on, on a different deal than the one he's okay. at right now. All I right. just cannot see the Seahawks bringing him back at $20.35 million. That, that's just a huge number. And I, I imagine that when they sign that deal, 
they thought that, yeah, he's they're probably not going to play out the final year of that deal, whether they move on from him or whether they work something else out. You could justify uh, working out a new deal that lowers that cap number. But the question is, is Wagner going to feel like he's owed a raise or at least a similar deal coming off a a season in which he would have led the league in tackles again had he not gotten hurt? And, you know, it's probably going to be an all pro again. So um, I. It feels like it's 50-50 to me whether or not he's back. But if he is back, I don't think it's going to be on that contract. And I don't think that you can trade that contract. I mean, you're talking about uh, a team having to absorb $16.6 million and then give up draft capital. Uh, He's obviously still a hugely productive player. I just think for you just don't see players with that much money uh, at that age get traded for anything of value. Joe, Cody Barton, uh, Jordan Brooks, and somebody else. Good enough? No. No, they'd have to go get somebody. Cody Barton ain't the guy. He would have been far more prominent in terms of trying to get him reps and being in the mix. They gave him his shot in the 2019 playoffs, and I actually thought he looked okay. Clearly, they they didn't agree. Um, But then even 2020, he didn't do anything. Um, To me, I I just – He's a bench guy. He's a, a guy that's nice to have depth-wise, but they'd have to go then get another veteran, which, I don't know, the, the middle linebacker, off-ball linebacker money market isn't insane. So you should be able to do so, certainly with the money you save from if you were to cut Bobby Wagner and then have some left over. But I think what Brady's saying is right uh, as well. Is you know I could see him being back on a rework deal to get him – well below that that twenty million dollar number. All right, I'm gonna shoot. And, and, I, and I don't real quick. I don't think reworked means he's gonna take a pay cut. I just I can't imagine him wanting to take a pay cut just after the season that he had. So spreading it yeah. out. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let me throw a couple guys at you guys that you could save some money with, and you just tell me yay or nay. Quick thoughts. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Gabe Jackson, six million dollar savings if you cut him. You want him back, Brady? Yeah, your name. Yes, yes. I think you're, yes. You, you can't be. You can't afford to be getting rid of talented players on your offensive line. You need okay. to be building it up. Joe, Chris Carson. You can save five million if you cut Chris Chris uh, Chris Carson after June. Yeah, your name. Yay, and then you re-sign him for something that's much more uh, incentive laden. Okay. Kerry Hyder and Benson Mayoa, Joe. Uh, both are three million dollars savings if you cut them. I didn't see much from either, to be honest with you, in 2021. I thought I was getting more, especially Hyder. I was really disappointed. I didn't see much from Hyder at all. Maybe Brady would say he was doing a lot more work than I noticed from my casual eyes. Nope. Where, where, where are you on those two guys, Joe? They can both go. Both go. Cut them both and save $6 million. Brady, are you okay Correct. with that? I, yeah, I, I just didn't see anything really from Kerry Hyder. I think he had a, a sack and a half, and the sack came in the last game. With Mayoa, I, I could see it maybe just because – you need somebody to play that spot. Uh, I don't think he's making a ton of money to where it, it, you you would have a really hard time justifying it. I know the production wasn't there like it has been in the past from him, but um, and I don't have the contract handy. Tell tell me what Benson Mayo is scheduled to make next season. I don't know what he's scheduled to make, but I know the the savings is three million if you cut him post June. I think okay. he, I think yeah. it's probably close to four. It's like three to four, and you get three million in savings and about seven hundred or eight hundred thousand in dead money if you cut him. That's yeah, I, I don't remember that being a huge deal that okay. he signed. So right. I, 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 I could justify bringing him back. All right, Jason Myers, can we all agree? You save $4 million if you cut Jason Myers at a particular point of the offseason. Are we all cutting Jason Myers? Yes. Seen yes. enough? Okay. Yes. 
Brady, you're hesitating. <laughs> who's gonna Who's gonna kick for? I don't know. Somebody I mean, for I know a lot the, cheaper. That's who's gonna kick. Sure. I can get, I can get Jason Myers production for a million bucks in the NFL. What do I you need? You might get Blair Walsh produ- you might get Blair Walsh production for that. So yeah, it, real quickly with Myers. I mean, the way that they structured that contract is this is when it on. would start this is when it would start to be less punitive cap-wise to move on from he him. Stinks. So I could see it now whereas in the past it just it was not as viable of an option. Okay. Free agents, free agents a plenty. Not in any order. We got and I'm probably missing guys. Quandre Diggs, DJ Reed's a free agent. Sidney Jones Rasheem Green, Rashad Penny, Dwayne Brown, Brandon Shell is a free agent. Al Woods and Brian Monet are free agents. Penny Hart's a free agent. Will Disley is a free agent. Jamarco Jones is a free agent. I'm probably forgetting some. I'll let each of you go. Uh, Brady, start with you. Which guys on this list are important that you bring back? Now, I know we all would have said Diggs, but we've got to now consider the injury and the nature of the injury, which guys on this list do you definitely want to try your try like the Dickens to bring back? I, I think Diggs. I realize the injury situation is serious, but if the reports are to be believed, it was a clean break, no ligament damage. That should be an injury that he's able to recover from, and he was. I think that he was their MVP uh, until he got hurt. He he was there. He, you could make a case that he was their best player this season. And I realize they're already got a, a lot of money tied up in Jamal Adams. I don't think that should matter because you also had a lot of money tied up in the Legion of Boom when those guys were, were your best players. If they're your best players, pay them. And if you feel like Diggs can can be what what he was this season coming off the injury, uh, you got to keep him around. You know, he seems like a candidate for a franchise tag. That's typically what happens when teams want to take a, a year by year approach. You can keep him on the franchise tag. I don't think that would be. Uh, so much more than, you know, it, it probably would be less than what he could get per year on the open market coming off two straight Pro Bowl seasons. And so um, he's the guy, you know, look, Al Woods had a nice season. He's probably not going to cost that much. Um, really good season, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, did. Uh, yeah. Some of those other guys, I mean, Will Disley, that, he seems like a guy who is a guy they would love to have around, but probably not a guy that they're going to make it a priority. So a lot of those guys, most of those guys, it's probably going to be a case of them letting them get to free agency and then they'll see what the market is and they'll make value decisions based on that. So it's, we could sit here and say, yeah, resign this guy, let that guy go. We just don't know what they're going to cost. And so it's, it's hard to make that call right now, but um, DJ Reed is in that same boat too. I think he had a fantastic couple last couple of years. And uh, what is his market going to be like? I, I, I would, I don't know that I would call fantastic. I wouldn't use the word fantastic. I would say good at times, very good at times. And that's where I after was going, the bad start, I, that's where I was going with Joe. And that's the cornerback position, Joe. I mean, you mentioned earlier on in the first segment about Trey Brown. Maybe he's one of those young guys you get excited about. It was only a couple of games of Trey Brown. So outside of Trey Brown, DJ Reed, free agent. Sidney Jones, free agent. Um, what are we doing at the cornerback position? The most, One of the most important positions in 2022 in the NFL, if you're going to be able to stop anybody's passing game, you better have some corners. What are we doing? Yeah, Joe? I think Sidney Jones and, and DJ Reed are both worth bringing back. Again, who, if the, if someone outbids you by amount you're not comfortable with, fine. But in this vacuum of our conversation here right, on Unfiltered right. Mitch, <laughs> DJ Reed right. should be back. Sidney Jones should be back. I don't think you can start from scratch at the cornerback position with only a rookie there, a fourth round rookie who is coming off a pretty gruesome injury, and who knows what his timetable is like to getting back on the field. 
you can't start from scratch there. So yes, they have to be back. Al Woods should definitely be back. Um, and I think Quandre Diggs certainly should be a priority. And they're going to be kicking themselves. They didn't make that decision uh, a year ago. Um, I agree with bringing Gabe Jackson back. They're going to have some big decisions to make on the offensive line, given that both of their tackles are free agents. Um, they have a big decision to make at center and finding out who's going to be there because I don't think you can run it back with Ethan Posick. And then, you know, you look at the ESPN's pass block win rate, the number one center in the entire league is Creed Humphrey. Stop it. Don't do that I mean, to that me. That one stings. Don't do that I know. to me. Don't do it. I know. Don't do it. But, yeah, I, I think – most of the pieces you name defensively, you have to you okay. have to try to get back. Okay, I know you're waving your hand, Brady, and you can go wherever you want. But I was coming to you on the offensive line. I was there. We go. I was going to piggyback what Joe said. I mean, to me, you got two guards. You got Jackson and you got Lewis. I don't have a right tackle. I don't have a center, and I don't know what the hell I'm doing at a left tackle. If somebody on the on the golf course said to me, Mitch, what are they? What, what's the big problem during the off season? I'm saying cornerback and offensive line, CB and OL. Are you bringing Dwayne Brown back for one more year? Are you testing, looking the free agents, looking up and down the free agents of left tackles? What are you doing at center? What are you doing at left at right tackle? Yeah, I, I would I would take a look and see if you could try to get younger at left tackle. There's just no guarantee that you know, Dwayne Brown, he's a pretty good player and he has been for a while. And I you just that's not a position where guys typically get to free agency where you typically find an upgrade in free agency. It can happen, but it's not like one of those positions that are a dime a dozen. And so uh, that's going to be an interesting one. Brown said at the end of the season that he definitely wants to keep playing. So we know that much. He also kind of an honest self-assessment saying his season was okay. And then he hit some rough patches. And so he is what he is. He's been a very good pro bowl level left tackle, but he's 36, is he'll he, be 37. Well, in hold August. on, hold on, hold on. Was he very good this year? Was he a very good left tackle this year? No. Okay. What no. was he? What, what was he? A, was he an? He okay? was good. He was he good? Joe, was he good? Was he a good left tackle this year? Above above replacement level. Yes. You're not just going to go. He's not a dime a dozen guy at at this point. He's not the all pro pro bowler he used to be, but he's still a guy who is better than whatever you're finding most likely in the free agent market or in the beginning to middle of the second round. Okay. Yeah, and, and the whole reason why the Seahawks didn't want to re, didn't want to pay didn't want to extend him last offseason is they felt like he's at a stage of his career where they're best to go year to year at this situation and see how his health is looking and see how he's playing. And so after a season like this, that by his own admission was just okay. I think he was twenty in, somewhere in the low twenties in terms of pass block win rate among offensive tackles. Is that a guy that you're going to want to give a raise to in free agency over the what twelve million or so that you're already paying him? I don't know. But then it becomes a question of, okay, you just lost your your best offensive lineman, arguably, in Dwayne Brown. Then what do you do? And and I think that as somebody in the NFL has described it to me before, like so many of these free agency decisions are so fluid. And it's not like the draft where if a team picks a guy you want, you just go to your next guy. That's it. it there's everybody's negotiating with everybody. You don't know whether or not you're going to be able to re-sign this guy. You don't know how much money is going to be left over for that guy. So, so much of this is going to be fluid. And if the Seahawks don't get, if, if they don't re-sign Dwayne Brown, then it's really incumbent on them to, to really beef up their offensive line around him, not just sign a, a good replacement at left tackle, but then I think you've got to really upgrade at center and at right tackle. I mean, we haven't talked about Brandon Shell yet. 
I thought he was, he was pretty good over the last couple of seasons. He was, I believe, 14th when you take into account the two seasons, 14th among tackles in pass block win rate. But injuries were an issue. He missed 10 games over two seasons. And I think you you could justify bringing him back on a reasonable deal. Uh, you got Jake Curran there. You feel like can step in uh, when needed. But I just think you're going to have to upgrade. You can't Brady. just run it back with the same group. Brady, where are we on Curran? You just talked about Curran and Forsyth. Are they uh, potential starters? Or are they not there yet? I think Curran is closer to that just because we saw it. We saw him play at, at a decent level when he actually started games, and we just didn't see that from Stone Forsyth. Now, maybe that was just because he didn't get the opportunity, but I don't know if you're the Seahawks, how you could say that you've seen enough from Stone Forsyth to entrust okay. him at the most important position on their offensive well, line. What is, I just don't know if you've seen enough yet. What's the contract? Does anybody have the memory of the Chris Carson contract, do you know what it is offhand, Brady? What was it, uh, it? roughly? Yeah, it was it was a two year deal worth about five point two million dollars per year. So, t- so 10. two ten four. All right, Joe. Penny wants two eight, two two years eight million. Most of it guaranteed. Yay or nay? Nay. Brady, two depends, years. It depends what the incentives and the per game roster bonuses look like. Two years nay. eight million. He says I'm the I'm the best. I, I had more yards after contact in the last five weeks than anybody had in contact, before contact, after contact. I want two years, eight million. Most of it guaranteed. Yeah, your nay, Brady. Uh, most of it. Uh, how about if we say like it follows the structure of, of most deals, which is you know maybe somewhere closer to half of it is guaranteed. Then yeah. yes, you would yeah. do it. I think the risk. I think the risk is what what you've seen over the past five games. The reward is worth the risk of of having to eat four million dollars okay. guaranteed money. Absolutely. Joe, where are you on Gerald Everett and Parkinson and the tight ends? Joe, we want Everett back. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't have- think you start. From, I don't think you start from scratch there either. I mean, with Will Disley being a free agent, and you know, but bring back Gerald Everett. He had enough good moments to where I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he earned himself money this season. I don't think he's gonna be more expensive than what you had to pay this year. If anything, it might be a little bit cheaper. He had some bad moments. Let's he be sure honest. Did. He did. It, yeah. He did. But I think there was enough there. The yards after the catch, I think, is very important. The ability to to get yards after the catch is important in an offense like what they want to be, short and intermediate. You need guys like that who can rack up yards after the catch that you're not getting by bombing the ball down the field. So blunders and all, I think I think they should try to resign Gerald. Everett. Final question for both of you. It's kind of a generic question, Joe. If they stay with. Pete Carroll and John Schneider without a first-round draft choice, with all this cap space, but with all these free agents, how encouraged are you that with a healthy Russell Wilson and some good off-season personnel decisions that this team can be an NFC West champion in 2022? Not. Not. No, I mean, that's why I believe that change is justified. I think this team has been stagnant, if not on the decline, for years. I think the regression to me has been obvious. It's been obvious defensively. It's been obvious in Russell Wilson's play. It's been obvious in the overall consistency of the offense. It's been obvious in terms of their draft picks and the the, the number of draft picks that pan out. We just went through the list, right. or lack thereof, of players that you feel like are foundational young pieces on the team And even the ones you mentioned, how many of them project to be pro bowlers and superstars? So, no, I'm I'm not. Again, I get the thought of running it back. And with Russell Wilson playing at his best, he's going to always give you a shot. And there's a baseline there that is, is, is good to have. But to me, they're perennially outgunned by the class of the NFC. I don't know why that would change 
going into next year. I don't know what monumental offseason they're going to have. Maybe Jamal Adams turns back into a full-time, bona fide, all-pro. Stud. Where he is all over the field. You know, maybe that happens. And maybe Jordan Brooks is the best linebacker in football. And maybe Daryl Taylor becomes a Max Crosby or, you know, someone of that ilk. But you're projecting a lot of best-case scenarios and you don't have a first-round pick. And you got a lot of cap space, but it's going to go to guys like Quandre Diggs, Dwayne Brown. I mean, you're going to just bringing back your own guys that we just talked about is going to take a big chunk of that. So I just don't I don't get what's what's going to be the move that gets them over the hump that changes anything. Not just this year where Russell Wilson got hurt, but 2020, 2019 and 2018 and 2017, 2016, 2015. We've seen this movie. So to me, um, no, I don't have that. Brady, same question to you. We just talked about it. Fifty-two million under the cap. If you get rid of um, Hyder and Mayoa, you're at. Uh, you could be at fifty-eight million. You could cut Carson and be at sixty-three million. Jason Myers puts you at sixty. All of a sudden, you've got Miami Dolphins money, and Miami Dolphins money is like seventy million under the cap. They're number one in football. Can Seahawks fans be encouraged? Uh, that seems like a tall order, but I don't think you can rule anything out. I mean, you you see teams go from worst to first. The Bengals just did it. Now, we, have we, we haven't seen them go to the NFC Championship game. We, we saw them win a division and look like a team that could, you know, maybe make a deep run in the playoffs, uh, although they're going to have a hard time because they're going to run into either Mahomes or uh, the Titans. But I, I think... I'm not going to say NFC West or I'm not going to say NFC championship game, but I think they could very much be in the mix to compete for an NFC West title next year, just because you see it happen and you've got the quarterback. Now you're talking about all, all the cap space they could free up by cutting this guy, cutting that guy. And that's true, but you're also creating holes. And I think I wouldn't get too excited about the possibility of this big spending spree and Pete Carroll, you know, on his last uh, 710 ESPN Seattle radio (laughs) hit of the season, basically, uh, you know, tried to temper expectations of that just by talking about all the guys of their own that they have to resign. So, um, but I, I, I'm not going to say NFC, championship game, but I will say that they should be, if they have a good off season and Russell Wilson is back and looks like he did over the last couple of games, then yeah, I think that they, sh- there's no reason why they shouldn't at least be in the mix for the NFC West. I love these guys. The Seahawks no table presented by taco time, taco time, NW.com. I give him a hard time, but boy, I don't know where unfiltered would be without him. We'll uh, check in with him as the off season progresses. You can see, Brady Henderson on ESPN and ESPN.com on a regular basis. And Joe Fan Winbet. Joe, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks, fellas. Always a pleasure. And Brady Henderson, you're the best, Brady. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Have fun doing it. When one of the nation's leaders in the mortgage business, Cross Country Mortgage, wanted to set up shop in Kirkland, they immediately called Mitch Unfiltered sponsor Jordan Flowers and acquired his entire team. So, that's the way it's done. And here he is, the former East Lake and Washington State wide receiver, Jay Flo in the house. Hi, Jay Flo. Hey, how are you, Mitch? Mitch Thank the you kid. for the kind of Mitch, Mitch the, the kid. <laughs> Mitch the kid, the slicker. Oh, I love it. Uh, oh. How would you say the first year is going at cross country? And you've got a lot of news and notes on rates 
and limits and second homes. Lay that stuff on us. Yes, absolutely. Lots of news coming out. Interest rates are going up to get in front of the inflationary curve that we're all kind of seeing, experiencing, and hearing about in the news. Loan limits have gone up to 647000 nationally for a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac backed loan. So anybody looking to buy a home in the 700000 range is looking yeah. at three to five percent down at this point, hoping to make home ownership more possible. And there are a lot of good estimations as far as even your home values increasing this year from the National Mortgage Bankers Association, five, six, 10% again in this market based it, off supply and demand. Jordan, if our homeowners are like me, they auto pay their mortgage every month and hardly ever take a look at their interest rates and opportunities to save money. So let's say I'm in year eight of a 30-year fix. I've got great credit. My rate's 4.5%. All right, I want to stay in a 30-year. What can a seven-minute call with either you or a member of your team yield me? Yes, well, we can yield you several hundred dollars a month in savings, yeah. depending on what you want to do. If it's a 30-year fix you're looking for, rates are still much lower than 4.5. If you're looking at a 20-year, we can shorten the term and still save you two, three, dollars $400 a month, potentially. So we would look at 15 20 25 and 30-year options for you based on what your ultimate goals are. Phone number to reach you? 425-890-2957. The Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Give them a call. See what Jordan Flowers' team can do for you. If the answer is nothing, you're only out seven minutes. That's not a lot. We love Cross Country Mortgage. We love Jordan Flowers. Great sponsors of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. We put away another college football season with Georgia's revenge win over Alabama and Indianapolis. But we here at Unfiltered and Taco Time Northwest have decided the season doesn't end until Rick Neuheisel's swan song. A 15-minute interview on Zoom can net you a great opportunity and great incentives and compensation packages at tacotimenorthwest.com, tacotimenw.com slash careers. Mr. Neuheisel, Georgia's win seemed the popular one outside of Tuscaloosa and the Levy household. We lost a lot of money here, a chance at a lot of money here in the Levy household on Georgia's win. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, <laughs> uh, but, I, but, I, but I do believe that it was good for college football that uh, Georgia found a way to summit Mount Saban. Uh, so few get the chance to do so, and even when getting the chance, get it done. But uh, it was an impressive season. Uh, for Georgia, they certainly learned the lessons from uh, game one against Alabama about trying to be too intricate with both coverage and pass rush schemes. And uh, they just said, sick them and played what we call cat coverage, yeah. Mitch, which is you got that cat. I got that. cat, <laughs> and, and away they went and uh, showed their speed. And when Jamison Williams went down uh, in that uh, 
first half, uh, it was curtains for Alabama. You say cat coverage. You talk about the injuries. That's what I was going to ask you about. A couple of different injured wide receivers. Would the result have been different if Alabama had its men? Well, given the, the way that Georgia had decided to play, uh, Alabama on this particular evening, I think it would have had a huge difference because there's not a player on uh, in Georgia's secondary that can cover Jamison Williams right. without help. And uh, if you were just going to decide you were going to live with it and just try to limit how much time Bryce Young had to find him, uh, I think uh, Bill O'Brien and company could have schemed up some real opportunities for Jamison Williams to impact the game, but it wasn't to be. So, Rick, we've seen LSU pop for a year. Now Kirby Smart and Georgia, I'm assuming it's way too early to proclaim any shift in powers in the SEC. This is going to have to happen a few years, would you say? Yeah, but I think this is a much more consistent program than Ed Ogeron's LSU. Now we have to wait and see what Brian Kelly's version of LSU looks like. Right. Because Brian Kelly might be the most consistent coach uh, on the planet, not named Saban. But in terms of Georgia's ability to attract players, given the fertility of the state of Georgia for college athletes, yeah. I expect them to be in this conversation for some time to come. They do not play next regular season. I already checked. So the first time that we see them again potentially would be the SEC championship game. Are these two teams going to be two of the best teams, if not the best two teams in college football in 22? Well, uh, the answer is yes. There's no question. Now, Georgia does take on some uh, uh, some heavy losses in that defensive front. Okay. So we'll wait and see exactly what they look like. But given their for, uh, their uh, unbelievable recruiting class and the rankings of these recruiting classes, and given the popularity of these two programs when the transfer portal uh, is also reviewed, uh, I expect them both to be in this uh, conversation. And I, I think Vegas, who knows best of all, yes. uh, has them both at 13 to four favorites to win the national title again next year. Okay. So you have to imagine that they're going to see each other, at least prohibitive favorites to see each other in Atlanta. And it wouldn't be shocking for them to be part of the final four again. And maybe the more significant news out of Indianapolis, the big wigs went into a room in a swanky hotel, Rick, and they came out making very little headway, I'm told, on a playoff expansion to 8 or 12 or 16. Automatic bids for conference champs or not automatic bids for conference champs. What do you say about all that? I guess George Klyovkov might sell his firstborn for automatic champs <laughs> into the, uh, in the uh, playoff, right? Yeah, we have a stalemate. What we have uh, was a was a group of guys that realized we needed to change the formula because people were getting a little bit of SEC, if not Alabama fatigue, and where we were close to getting that accomplished. And then all of a sudden the news leaked that Texas and Oklahoma were headed also to the SEC and their riches. And it created a, uh, a basic uh, line in the sand. Uh, George Klyovkov, you just mentioned him, the new commissioner of the Pac-12, Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, and uh, Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC, all decided we're banding together to say we're not letting the SEC just push us around. The SEC is not going to go for any idea of a playoff that doesn't include at least 12 teams because they've already had two teams in the current format with four. Heck, they had two when it was the BCS, and there were only two teams Correct. given a chance, Yes, right? Back in 2011 when Alabama and LSU played for the title. 
So they're not doing anything that doesn't give them for chance for multiple bids uh, and thinking four and five, and that, that works for 12. They have a partner in that theory with Notre Dame because Notre Dame wants a chance to go 10 and two and still make a college football playoff. And that becomes a possibility at 12. And those three commissioners that we spoke of aren't moving until they're guaranteed uh, a seat at the uh, table with a guaranteed bid. And now you get all those group of five programs that say, no, 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 if we're better than you, and by the way, this is a year to say they are because Utah State from the Mountain West was 2-0 and against Pac-12 teams. Uh, BYU, soon to going into the Big 12, but an independent this year was 5-0 and against Pac-12 teams. Yeah. And San Diego State was also 2-0 and against Pac-12 teams. So they have uh, a leg to stand on when saying and resisting this notion that anybody gets a free pass just because you win your conference. So what will be ultimately the resolution in your mind? I think we're going to wait four more years because the other thing that we haven't mentioned is the television piece. Right now, uh, ESPN and the folks that run ESPN have four more years of a college football playoff deal. And with that exclusivity, the, the numbers aren't going to come in like they would if you had Fox, if you had CBS and NBC all you know, trying to get a piece of the action much like the NFL does, right? We're watching this weekend, uh, the wild card weekend, and we're sitting here going, they've got all kinds of different networks getting yes. the chance to put these yes. games on television. And I think that's what people are foreseeing for the future. So I don't think we're going to see any real quick movement unless uh, the powers that be start saying, you know what, we need to share yeah. for the good of college football. But when we do get movement, what movement will we get? 12 teams with automatic bids 12. or not? 12, yes. 12 or 16. 12 or 16. Yeah, it, it's going to go to uh, more games. And and the other thing that needs to be incorporated here in our conversation, Mitch, is the bowls. The bowls have been hugely beneficial to college football, and, and they wield a lot of influence, and they're going to want those games to continue. So the New Year's Day 6 will all be part of a future college football plan. Uh, so the, all those games will be playoff games. So we won't have opt-outs as we kind of had to deal with over the last couple of years. And if Rick Neuheisel were boss, what would be the format and who would make the field? Uh, if I were king for the day, I would have it uh, start at 12, certainly understanding that 16 would be reasonable and that would be factored into any future uh, negotiations with television. But I'd start with 12, four buys, eight teams, those uh, eight teams would play in four games all New Year's Day six. The two games that, that would be the semis would also be New Year's Day six. And uh, then we'd get a national championship game at some exotic location located near Mitch Levy. <laughs> and you would say what to the people who then would say, what do you mean? We're going to put start putting teams in with two or three losses. This is really going to change what we love so much about the college football regular season. You say what to those people? I say, did you see the Rose Bowl? Did you see Utah just give an unbelievably valiant effort as Cam Rising, their quarterback, who didn't start the season, uh, got his sea legs and all of a sudden became a great leader for the uh, Utah Utes. And it was a 48-45 thriller in Pasadena. That's what I say. You don't have to necessarily start well to finish and be a great football team. And the fact that we've got people in Utah as excited about the national championship as people in the southeastern portion of the country is good for the overall health of the game. And, and uh, I just think that's the way it is. 
we stop talking about conferences in November if they've already got, uh, you know, one or two losses because we don't see them as potential for a college football playoff. And when you're playing for championships, that's compelling football. We just need to make a playing for also spots in the playoff. But the do or die element to each week of college football where you feel like, oh, my God, we've got to win every game to have a chance at the championship. You take all that away and you're, you're OK with taking all that away. You say that, but the do or die of, you know, having to win to get yourself to in, in, in a regular season game also creates those same teams then those do and do and die uh, compelling matchups to schedule three or four games a year against teams right. that have no business right. being on the same field, right. which then is, lends us to saying, what are we watching here? Right. That's, that's what we get in return for that do or die. And I just don't think it's a, you know, good enough payback. What do you think of the PAC 12 over in the bowl season? Does it matter? Is it another arrow to the midsection of the malign power five conference? George wants to reduce the conference schedule by a game as soon as humanly possible. I think he wants to do that with the Big Ten or some other conference that also runs nine games. What do you think of all that? Well, I, I'm, I said that. I stood up as one of the coaches in the Pac-12 uh, at the time. I said, why are we doing this? Why are we playing nine conference games when everybody else is not? This is before the Big 12 uh, ended up having nine games. This is before the Big 10 ended up having nine games. Right. We were the only team in the league. I said, we're guaranteeing ourselves six losses. And if I tell you where they're spread, maybe you'll, you'll blink. But if you don't know, all of a sudden we're putting ourselves at risk as a brand relative to the rest. Right. And it was true then and it's true now. If you don't need to do it, why are you doing it? And the, the, the reason back then was money. They were saving money. They didn't want to go buy games. They didn't because there was a market for these teams that would put themselves out there. Mercenary programs that would say, I'll come and travel and play you and you pay us this. And the numbers were going up with Alabama and the SEC teams uh, wanting them to come fill their stadiums. That, that, that world was alive then and it's alive now. And, and George Klyovkov is realizing it. Listen, it's a bad look to go 0-5 in the postseason. It's bad. The brand is down. I know he's built a football play, a football committee to try to help it, but that football committee has a number of guys that are busy playing still in the NFL. What has to happen is that you need a strategic conference with all these head coaches as to how to help them, number one, in recruiting, and number two, how to create schedules that can create some opportunity, number one, to summit the mountain against the good teams like Oregon and, and Ohio State, but also a way to attract people into the, our environment. When LSU came and played in the Rose Bowl, the Bruins got it done. We need more teams coming west. We have a big stadium in Las Vegas. We have a big stadium in Los Angeles. Those one-off games need to start happening in the Pac-12 footprint. But at the point that we're talking, we've got USC with forward momentum, which you've always said is maybe the most important thing. Lincoln, 100%. Lincoln. That's a huge coup for the Pac-12 right. that Lincoln Riley and his uh, brand right. have arrived in Southern California, and that will help him measure So Lincoln Riley's in Southern California, and he's bringing transfers, great players along with him. We've got Chip right. Kelly signing an extension at UCLA. We've got the Georgia defensive coordinator at Oregon now. We've got new. Right. We've got two new coaches in the state of Washington are West Coast stars, high school stars, going to start staying West and playing for some of these universities? As soon as we can prove we can get to the playoff. And Caleb Williams will be case in point number one. Caleb Williams, who just entered the transfer portal, the quarterback who was with Lincoln at Oklahoma, yeah. is out there. 
If he chooses USC, that could be a huge coup heading in the right direction for our conference. The Trojans have to be the bell cow. It's pivotal. Jackson Dart is in the transfer portal right now. We'll wait and see where he ends up. But if we can keep the good at home, thinking about all these players, Bryce Young included, that left our footprint to go elsewhere, it's how we'll get this thing turned back in the right problem direction. problem is it's the great chicken or the egg, Rick, because we need those guys to go back to the Final Four, and you're telling me, or to the playoff, and you're telling me those guys will come after we go to the playoff. So what? which one comes first? Well, that's why I'm saying Caleb Williams following and then hopefully taking a, yeah. a Trojan team to the playoff is exactly where we, we get going. Yeah. There's nothing more exciting than the Trojans when they get going. And when the Bruins get going to try to hang in there with the Trojans, now all of a sudden you've got two big-time brands. And this can happen faster than ever before because of the ability and the flexibility of the transfer portal. You can get a bunch of kids to come back to Los Angeles who have left and start playing in their home environment if there's an excitement about it. And those two coaches, those two coaching staffs, I think can provide it. Rick, we've got the transfer portal. We've got the name, image, and likeness and money going around. We've got the coaching carousel. All those three things are happening at the same time. Has all hell broken loose, or is it all a good thing in your eyes? Well, there's no denying that hell's broken loose. Now, the question is, is, is it, it going to break is, <laughs> is it going to break loose in the right direction? And I, I maintain my uh, stance on you know, resolution number one for 2022, I'm going to be positive. I believe we can get this thing headed in the right direction. Name, image, and likeness eventually will have to get some guardrails so that we can't just be paying people. I mean, I heard tell from a very good source that A&M spent $30 million and got themselves, you know, very organized from an alumni sense to get this number one recruiting class. They got 30 million bucks out there to get these kids to wow. come and be a part of this program. Wow. Guys doing about faces from other well-known institutions just for the sheer uh, sake of money. Quinn Ewers left Ohio State having handed off three times to go be at Texas and seven figures awaiting him. Wow. So it, it's, wow. it's a different world right now. What we do about it in the near future is anybody's guess, but federal legislation will be the end result as we try to get this thing uh, under some sort of control and create some sort of parity. Let's finish with this. If I had told you when you were coaching either at UCLA or at Colorado or at Washington, if I had told you that two of the top 40 high school players in America were going to go in someday to Jackson State, you would have said... (laughs) I mean, Deion Sanders apparently has one of the top two or three players and another guy that's in the top 50. Can you believe that? I can believe it because Deion is a marketing genius. He's tied in with some big time uh, money folks, and I won't be surprised. I know that this is not to suggest that this is the only reason they're attending a historically black college. I'm excited for him and I'm excited for Dion. I think Dion will be a power five coach here within the next two to three years. Yeah. I would be not shocked at all if it were his alma mater at Florida state, but uh, Dion's figured out this name, image and likeness deal. And, and a couple of these kids are benefiting greatly by joining his ranks right there at Jackson state. But he says they're not getting a lot of money. He doesn't have a lot of money. When these guys start making more money than him, that's a problem. He says, you don't believe him. I don't say that uh, they're not getting a lot of money, but they're getting deals okay. there. And, and okay. there's, there's potential for a bigger deal. It just makes sense. I mean, this is business, and it's not just business for 18-year-olds. It's business for moms and dads of 18-year-olds. Right, 
right. who are, are absolutely willing to listen. Wow. Well, that's it. That's it. College football was a lot more exciting and a lot more fun, despite your picks uh, on Mitch Unfiltered with Rick. I am, yeah. I, am, I am also my second uh, New Year's resolution <laughs> as we look down the road to the 2022 season. Uh, I want your avid following, the Mitch Unfiltered following. Yes. I want them to realize New Heisel's coming back with a vengeance. Oh. I want Taco Time to realize New Heisel's coming back with a vengeance. He will be on fire. That's gonna. That's gonna be the words I use. New Heisel's coming back with a vengeance in 2022. Absolutely. Thank you so much, sir, for everything. It was great having you on week to week. Missed you the last few weeks, but it was a a really fun year of college football, and you make it a lot more fun for all of us and our listeners on Mitch Unfiltered. Can't wait to speak with you as we approach 2022, okay? All right, my friend. All the best. Uh, May everybody be healthy and happy in 2022, and uh, look forward to getting together soon. It's time to catch up with Katie Versio, Senior Financial Planner, Evergreen Golf Call, just in time to probably make me look silly for the holidays. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Here we go. I'm ready for my holiday version of the trivia contest. We're going to get three questions, and I'm going to go three for three. What's the theme this time around? The theme today is a year-end market recap. So we're going to talk about what happened in the market from January through the end of November. Got it. All right. I'm ready for question number one. All right. So what was the biggest market pullback? So from when the market peaked to trough that we had in 2021, was it down 2%, 5%, 10%, or 14%? Hmm. I'll say either 5 or 10. I'll go 10%, Katie. Sorry, it was only down 5% back in September. There was just a small pullback. So this year, there hasn't been too much volatility. In December, we've actually seen about the same level of volatility just in the first few trading days. But the first 11 months were pretty smooth. Okay. I'm 0 for 1, which brings us to question number two. How much was the stock market or the S&P 500 up for the entire year? So from January through the end of November. Was it up 10%, Big. Big. Yeah. 17%, yeah. 22%, or 29%? Gosh, I don't think it was up 29%, but it was up big. I'll, I'll go I'll go 17 as opposed to 22. It was actually up 22% through the first 11 months of the year. It's down a little bit now. Like I mentioned, we've had a little more volatility, but it's, but it's been a good year. Oh. Which brings us to question number three and my last chance to at least go one for three and bat 333, which is good in baseball, but not good for Evergreen Golf Call Trivia. Go ahead, Katie. All right. How much has the price of oil increased from January through November? Oh, no. Is it up 20 percent, 32 percent, 37 percent or 41 percent? I have I don't watch oil. I have no idea. It's got to be one of the middle two because it always is. So I'll go 30. What were the middle two? 32 and 37? That's right. I'll go 37. Well, I tricked you with that one. Uh, It's actually up 41%. So the price of oil uh, of a barrel has gone from $48 at the end of 2020 to $68 at the end of November. (sighs) Another 0 for 3. Another collar, as they like to call it 
for Mitchie the Kid on Evergreen Golf Call Trivia, but that doesn't mean I don't love Katie and I don't love our partnership with Evergreen Golf Call. We do. They've been there since the beginning. Evergreen Golf Call is everything wealth. Unfiltered. All right, Hot Shot. I've got COVID. You've got the other stuff segment. Go ahead. If you thought all this talk of digital goods and wealth was just sort of nerdy fad, think again. Because Walmart is going all in on virtual reality. Walmart. Walmart. They filed a number of trademark apps in recent months seeking to gain exclusive rights to sell virtual goods on their digital shelves, which they have a video out to show you what it could potentially look like of you pushing your cart around in their virtual world. And you have your private shopper right there. It's pretty awesome. I mean, to think that Walmart is now kind of looking at all this is still no word yet on how you'd virtually punch someone on Black Friday in Walmart. But I think they're going to look look into that eventually. And kind I of never that go out. to Walmart. I've got a Walmart right near me. Here's the problem with the Walmart that's right near me. Yeah. Right next door to Walmart that's right near me is Target. Yes. When would you go into Walmart? I guess maybe you'd get a better deal. But when would you go into Walmart when Target is right next door to it? Or would you not? Well, we're we're staunch Target supporters in you this are? family. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we both have the, you know the the red card. You familiar with the red card where you get five percent off at the no. register? I'm doing an no. ad for him right no, now. For no. God's sakes. No. I don't yeah. Know it's, it's, it's free money. It was like free money. So we 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 love Target. We love the app. We already order from Target. Walmart. I don't know. There's something about Walmart that's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way about how they pay their employees and the safety and all that stuff. So yeah, we don't we don't go to Walmart. That being said. They do have some pretty good deals sometimes in there. I'm I can, sure. I can put sure. I can put all my my morals aside and how I feel for a a good deal on a TV. <laughs> but yeah, I, we love Target. I, I think I think I would go to Walmart a lot more if Target wasn't next door. I go in there from time to time, but very rarely. But now with virtual reality coming to Walmart, I'm in. That's right. I'm You're in. in. I'll be standing in line to get into Walmart on Black Friday for the uh, virtual reality. <laughs> a cautionary tale really quick for you. A man ordered drinks three times at a bar and he didn't leave a tip. Now, that sort of behavior, I can tell you as a server, can leave an impression on you. So when the police came in to ask the staff if any of them happened to recognize the guy on the surveillance video... They said, oh, I remember that dickhead. He's the one that ordered three (laughs) rounds of drinks and never tipped me. Of course, I remember that face. And turns out he got caught lighting something on fire and they went and arrested him and got busted. So tip your servers, folks, and that way you won't be... You, you won't be in their brain if you do something bad. <laughs> I love that story. Uh, <laughs> All right. You, did you follow this minor league team called the Portland Pickles? No. Oh, God. They Okay, so the Portland Pickles decided to let Dylan, their pickle mascot, take over the team's Twitter page. It was all fun and games until the mascot tweeted out, new phone, who dis, with a picture of what looks like a green member sticking up between his legs. Now, he's a mascot for a team. I mean, we can't have... Green things sticking up from, yeah. So the team apologized saying the mascot Twitter takeover has ended and he was simply trying to give the fans a thumbs up. Mm. Nah. 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 He was trying to be cute. Yeah. And it no. did not work. No, yeah. not buying that one. All right. In case you want to quit doing podcasting altogether and just yes, say forget I it. I do. Yes. Jake and Logan Paul made $63 million in 2021. Yep. Jake and Logan Paul. And I'm just thinking, what's the point? Why? What am I doing? Sitting here with a pinched nerve, sweating, <laughs> trying to write jokes. $63 million. Do you have a pinched two. nerve? Oh, yeah. It's bad. I've had one for a oh long time. Oh, my God. You got a pinched nerve? It's Yeah, it's really bad. I'm, that's why I have to kind of I have to sit like this sometimes. That's the only thing that doesn't hurt. That's right. Yeah, COVID and the pinched nerve? 
Yeah, we're a hell of a team, aren't we? Did I see that one of the Paul brothers got duped on Pokemon cards or something? Or did I not read that right? Well, looky at who the Paul brother expert is on this <laughs> podcast. I did not see that, but please enlighten us. No, I don't. I don't have the details of the story. I thought that I read where one of the Paul brothers had some memorabilia of something, and it turns out it was it was counterfeit or something, or it was oh, fake. It was fake. It was fraudulently lost a lot of money. I don't know. I may be speaking out of my ass right now. I don't know what I'm talking about. So go ahead. Go to the next. Story. The husband of country music singer Sarah Evans was arrested yes, for this. alleged domestic yeah. violence. Yeah. So cops say he tried slamming his car into the car that she was being driven in. And I'm looking at his mugshot and I'm thinking, this guy looks like me, but balding. Like <laughs> she's like a young, famous country singer. Like why the hell is she with this guy? Well, turns out that Jay Barker. He's a former, a former Alabama U quarterback, right? Former University of Alabama quarterback. Yes, yes. yes. He was taken into custody and charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. He was placed on a 12-hour hold in Davidson County and released Saturday night after posting bail. Now, the report also indicated that Barker and Evans are currently separated and live separately and that Evans filed for divorce in August, citing irreconcilable difference. But I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, how did he get her? Okay, well, it makes a little more sense now. I think he was like, he was a pretty good quarterback at Alabama, Jay Barker. Yeah, he was. All the quarterbacks yeah. at Alabama are pretty good at the very least, but Jay Barker was. I remember I remember when he played at Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's currently an analyst for ESPN Radio and former on-air personality for WJOX in Birmingham, but that's it. I'm, I'm, I like when things finally come together and I can sleep now. I'm like, that didn't make sense to me when I was looking at this guy. By the way, I know that you like a good story about controversies with airlines and fights and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Did you see the story of Jordan Nixon, Janessa Torres, and Yahara Zavala? No. At JFK Airport in New York? I did not. September the 22nd. Apparently, they came to catch their flight. I forget where they were going. Uh... They're going to Puerto Rico. Okay. They, they get there. Three women get there and their flight is delayed for four or five hours. And they did exactly what a lot of us would do if our flight was delayed four or five hours. We were in an airport. What would we do? Go get drunk. That's what they did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nine drinks each later. Oh, geez. they came back to the flight and they were not allowed on the flight. One couldn't walk straight. One was falling yeah. down. And they beat the living daylights out of the uh, out of the American Airlines. I think it was American Airlines oh, agent. Geez. They're going to be going to jail. Up to 10 years, each of them going to jail. Wow. They kicked her. They punched her in the face. Oh, God. They left her on the ground. I mean, it was unbelievable. The story is unbelievable. I guess they're looking at 10 years each in, in prison for the episode on September wow. the 22nd. And then the other one I've got for you, because I know you love airline controversies. I got one, too. You know the name Christian McCaffrey? Do you have that one? <laughs> That's the one I got. Go ahead. Yes, you I do, do it. You do it. I don't have the energy to do it. Go ahead. Well, an airline told the 2012 Miss Universe, Olivia Culpo, she Correct. was showing a little too much skin to board the flight. She sure was. So she was handed a hoodie to wear by her boyfriend named Christian McCaffrey so they could board the flight to Mexico. Now, did you see the picture that Olivia's sister posted? I saw, yes. I saw a few things, yes. I saw a few things that are funny, yes. Olivia's sister posted a pretty funny picture of Christian on the plane with his arms in his T-shirt, freezing his ass off, and it says, this is exactly how Jack died in Titanic. <laughs> I thought that was pretty damn funny. It's just funny when, you, when you're like an insanely rich 28-year-old guy and you're freezing to death because yes. you can't wear your hoodie. The two that things that I love laugh. about that story is, A, here's what it said. It said, 
When you freeze because your lady dresses inappropriate, exactly how Jack from the Titanic died. I love that. Yeah, that's really and funny. You know what I also love in this day and age of social media and everybody's got phones? There was another woman on the flight, the same flight, okay. who was aware of the controversy. And she was wearing something even skimpier. Oh, really? She took a <laughs> shot of herself. She took a selfie of yeah. herself, a very low cut thing. And she sent it out on social media like, I'm wearing less. I'm wearing a skimpier outfit than she was, and I didn't. I didn't get asked to cover up. It was I classic. It. Yeah, it was. Classic. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'll ever have that problem. Something tells me as I go through life, I'm never going to be asked to. I'm showing too much skin. Not something you have to worry God, about. God, I hope not. I yeah, hope you not. and everyone else. Scary moment for professional skier George McQuinn, who was knocked unconscious after a brutal crash during the FIS Freestyle World Cup event in Deer Valley, Utah on Thursday. But thankfully, he's okay. But the, the, the video is pretty terrifying, and you guys can all go out and check it out for yourself. It shows the US, Team USA skier taking the nastiest spill on the last jump of the course, smacking the back of his head as he took off. And now Wide wow. World of Sports is considering a comeback oh, just so Jesus. they can play that in their yeah. open. Yeah, long way to go for that. The agony of defeat. (laughs) Right. And then Cody Webster's like right there in that same intro. Right, sure is. Did you see the Argentinian judge? She's being investigated after she was filmed kissing a prisoner who was convicted of killing a police officer. No. The judge was part of a panel of judges who had been voting to decide whether this guy should be handed a life sentence for the killing of police officer Leandro Roberts in 2009. She was the only judge on the panel to vote against a life sentence, instead seeking a reduced sentence. And now I think we all understand why she was the only one seeking a reduced sentence because there's now video of those two making out in some oh, some courtroom. Gosh. All right, I got some headlines for you if you want to be done after but this. But no, before before you do the headlines, I do I do want to say one thing seriously, if I can. Yes. You know, you probably remember that I grew up as a little guy playing tennis. I've ever oh, told yeah. you that story. I was a little tennis player growing up before I played anything else, and I can't ever remember a time in my life, Hotshot that I wasn't a fan of Chrissy Everett. Mm. Well, the former tennis star Chris Everett announced this week that she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and she's going to undergo treatments immediately. She's got a great outlook on life and a great outlook on beating cancer. And I just want to say, I know that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around the world that are cheering as we all did for you, for Chris Everett to beat cancer. And I wanted to mention that here on Unfiltered. Yeah, I don't know a ton about Chris Everett. It's a little before my time, and I wasn't really that big into tennis. I, I just remember her being easy on the eyes oh, as, a, yeah. as a young boy. Yeah, <laughs> I remember thinking, yeah. yeah, she was, uh, yeah, well, good luck to her. Now I got to read jokes about wieners and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Weenuses? <laughs> yeah, that's right, yes. A, a man claims he lost 1.5 oh, inches God. of manhood due to COVID. 1.5 inches came off due to COVID. If that's true, talk about getting the short end of the stick. (laughs) Two men who tried to smuggle cocaine into Britain in cans disguised as baked beans have been sentenced to a total of 15 years in prison. Personally, these two disgust me. If you're going to smuggle cocaine into a foreign country, at least have the dignity to hide it in your freaking butt like a normal person, please. (laughs) A New Zealand man who initially thought he had water trapped in his ear said the true cause of the blockage turned out to be a live cockroach. Oh, a cockroach in his ear. They pulled it out. Oh. And it's on. Yeah. Sadly, the, the cockroach, this species was endangered. So doctors had to put it back in his ear where it can live its life in peace. Maryland firefighters rescued a suspected home intruder over the weekend after the man got stuck inside a chimney, officials say. Still no word on what happened to all those presents. 
And finally, <laughs> I didn't know if that was going to go over your head or not. And Come finally, on. <laughs> I, might have COVID, I might have the fog, but I got it. I got it. Austin resident Jessa Randall went to a local Goodwill on Monday where she found a small vase-like item. After a closer look, she found a plug at the bottom of the ceramic with a bag of ashes tucked inside of it. It was an urn. Oh. At the Right. So it turns out the former owner wasn't lying when they said they lost grandpa. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> lost him twice. Good God. Oh, dear. Yeah. We'll do better the next time. Episode 174. <laughs> don't, don't be so sure. <laughs> I think I'll be a little bit better when we do a, a 174. P. Anyway, uh, 174. Episode 174 is in the books. 